0: You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning at 7.45am. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. Oh, it's that time of the year where everybody dusts off their best gym White impression and brags about their ability to tell you what's not happening on Transfer Deadline Day. Welcome along to Thursday morning's OTB AM. We're here with you all the way until 9.30 this morning. How are you, Owen? I'm very well. You were staring up at the screen there like, we're very washed out. Is that the issue? Well, yeah, I, I hadn't uh, realised this. I'm like, Whoa. There's new lights
1: on, is not there? Am I, uh, am I tripping or something? I'm not quite sure, but uh, everything, looks, everything looks extremely bright here this we, we morning. Not, we're not actually here, Owen. <laughs> this is uh, a vivid dream, I think is the technical term. Uh, but yeah, as you were saying, everybody... I think that one me- over there is the problem. Is that
0: that light over there?
1: Well, uh, I'm not sure. It it does look sort of... uh we, We've got kind of a,
0: an extra sense of holiness about us this morning, really. Or, or it's Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, who knows? This is, uh, this is how they punish people. This and making people watch Transfer Deadline Day videos all day. From 2011, perhaps. Well, from
1: 2011, I've, be, I've been doing it all morning. And, you know, people often ask you, what's your favourite sporting memory? Is it like an All-Ireland Final? Is it somebody winning the Premier League? Is it, you know, Ireland winning a Grand Slam? For me, it's... Transfer deadline day in January 2011 as what I deem to be the greatest sporting moment of all time because it was just hours and hours and hours of pure theatre on Sky Sports and this was before Sky Sports you know devolved into the smut that we got to know such as you know dildos being placed in reporters' ears and things like that. This was when transfer deadline day had class and it had excitement and uh, it had a lot of guts and a lot of glory about it. And I was just looking back at some of the deals from from transfer day uh, 2011. So eight years ago on this very day the day started off in particularly dramatic fashion so at around half past nine the BBC were reporting that uh, at the Melwood training ground in Liverpool Fernando Torres had shown up so straight away at half past nine the thing had got uh, the ball rolling but there was to be done deals done early in the morning that were going to get the excitement up and running so at 9.59 Nottingham Forest's quest for a full back is over they have signed Paul Koncheski on loan from Liverpool Wow,
0: deal number one well Liverpool fans are actually delighted with that that was like a a moment where there was a, we are not going to tolerate any shit from this point on. We are getting rid of Paul Konchesky.
1: Woohoo. It was a great moment for Liverpool fans. And a couple of moments after that, Torres <clears> gets into a helicopter. So uh, things are starting to, to ratchet up a small bit from a Liverpool perspective. Uh, we're, we'll skip on to the afternoon. It was a quiet morning after that. At five past three, this is when Transfer Deland Day really kicks off. Because Sunderland midfielder Andy Reid has joined Blackpool for an undisclosed fee. And the BBC website asks, could this be potentially be a replacement? Uh, for uh, Charlie Adam, who's been linked with a, a number of clubs on that day. Uh, then at 10-4, uh, to 4, uh, we've got uh, some more Irish interest. Uh, as reported, Bristol City have completed the loan signing of Wolves striker Andy Keogh. He goes to Ashton Gate for three months. Uh, a quarter past four then, things kind of ratcheted up a small bit in terms of big Premier League moves. Uh, Birmingham confirmed the signing of a 26-year-old Nigerian striker called Obafemi Martins on a six-month loan deal uh, from Ruben Kazan. Things then start to get into the the rumour mill and we don't know if some of these things are going to happen or not. And Dan Roan of the BBC reports that Charlie Adam is on his way to Liverpool. More details on that when he gets it. Then at 25-7, the big one, Chelsea and Liverpool agree a fee for Fernando Torres and the player is now awaiting a medical. And at the same time, reports in Portugal start to emerge that Chelsea are interested in completing a £25 million deal for a guy called David Luiz. Before all that start, starts to get sorted out, before we actually know if he's actually signed, sealed and delivered, at seven minutes past eight, Stephen Ireland completes his loan move until the end of the season from Aston Villa to Newcastle.
0: Did you remember that Stephen Ireland played for Newcastle? Uh, not really. I, I don't think he did, did he? Did he like, play a game and then get injured and then... Did he just end up back at Villa? Did he got so. go some Villa to Stoke, so somehow
1: he ends up back at... That, that's the only, well, it's one of only two uh, Aston Villa mentions in Transfer Deadline Day 2011. Of course, still then, uh, a heavy hitter at the top of the Premier League, or at least in the top half of the Premier League at that point. Mm. But at 25 past eight, we have an interesting development on, on Transfer Deadline Day. I don't remember this. According to the BBC website, there's worrying developments for Chelsea fans. If what worries you is completely speculative chat and social networking sites, the word on the tweet is that Benfica have pulled David Louise off the plane to London and say they are analysing Chelsea's offer for the centre back. Uh, But then, at a quarter to nine, Liverpool confirmed the signing of Luis Suarez on a a five-and-a-half-year deal from Ajax. Uh, The the Uruguayan, who they describe as 24 years old, will wear the number seven shirt. Then, at uh, ten past nine, Daniel Sturridge makes the move from Chelsea to Bolton until the end of the season. And uh, uh, Charles Nzogbia is linked with a last ditch move to go to uh, Newcastle United. That doesn't happen, nor does the Charlie Adam deal. But a big move does happen, and Ida Gudjansson joins Fulham on loan until the end of the season from Stoke. And then we get into the last hour of transfer deadline day, and this is when it all happens, really. At 5 to 11, Liverpool confirmed that Andy Carroll has signed, and we get this picture of uh, Andy Carroll. uh, And we also get the picture the next day of Andy Carroll and Luis Suarez posing together beside King Kenny, which I think we can have a look at. There we go. Uh, And now, infamous picture. Um, In the meantime, Connor Salmon messes everything up. Wigan confirmed the signing of Conor Salmon on a three-and-a-half-year deal from Kilmarnock. But back to the good stuff. Uh, Liverpool confirmed that Fernando Torres is now a Chelsea player. And uh, Benfica released a statement to the Stock Exchange saying that David Luiz has joined for a fee of around £21 million plus Nemanja Matic. Uh, but it wouldn't be Transfer Deadline Day without one final move.
0: Plus Nemanja Matic. £21 uh, million plus Nemanja Matic. Really. Yeah. I know. That's pretty expensive. Was Matic not, not playing at that stage? Was he, was he playing anything? Was he, was he from the reserves slashed 23s was it? It must have been and then he obviously it gets good yeah it gets good and they buy him
1: back for 25 million mm. That was obviously just a carousel of cash it was that, that's all it is that's all it was sloshing around At 29 minutes past 11 though it's a final done deal of the day Rangers have announced the signing of Elhaji Juuf from Blackburn after finalising a loan deal in the final stages of the transfer window the other thing we had as well that day was one of Jack Wilshere's greatest tweets, which is now deleted, unfortunately, where he tweeted: "Breaking transfer news. I just moved from the sofa to my bed. Uh, I don't know why he's deleted that. Maybe because he thought it would have been injury, it made him more injury prone.
0: Yeah. How many games do you think? Um, how many games do you think Stephen Ireland played for Newcastle? Eight. Two. Two. Wow." grand total of 49 minutes.
1: If you type in Stephen Ireland Newcastle into Google Images, which I actually did this morning, you actually get a fair few images of of him playing. So I was thinking to myself, God, I really did forget this uh, fairly healthy amount of time he spent at Newcastle, but clearly that's not the case.
0: Well, that's what it looks like from Transfer Market. That's that's the information I'm getting. I would trust Transfer Market. Two appearances, yeah.
1: It's probably just a load of pictures from the one game. Uh,
0: How many for Aston Villa?
1: 35? 58. 58.
0: Yeah, I think it was our four seasons.
1: That's a poor return, isn't it? Not great. Oh, not great whatsoever. So that was uh, transfer to London in 2011. They don't make him like they used to. And it's weird because 2011, you know, the world was in a worse financial place. Football was less grotesque. But maybe people were you know, uh, more sensible about the idea that you need to do things a lot earlier in a transfer window. And January as a transfer saga just isn't a good thing to
0: get yourself into. I disagree. I think that it's a great thing to get yourself into. If you can get Luis Suarez, everything else you ever do on transfer deadline day is a, is a success. You, you, on balance, you still win. Like, signing Louis Suarez, signing David Luiz was a great signing. True. Signing Fernando Torres for 50 million, not a great signing. No, but... Uh, a complete
1: bust. Complete bust. But the transfer deadline day from a Chelsea perspective is probably successful, given the amount of money that they have to just throw away and... Well,
0: if you think about that transfer deadline day, so they wasted 50 million on Torres and then they gave Matic away for... So it was... 17 million was what they initially offered and then it went to 21 plus marriage. and then they have to spend 30 million to get Maddich back is it? Something like that
1: It's not a great day's business is it? Not a, not a great I don't think Roman Abramovich really cared too much though They
0: made 50 million from David Luiz and then got him back for half that so well, obviously that money wasn't paid I, I often think that
1: if you have money like Roman Abramovich, you can kind of be like John Cleese in Rat Race and just sit there and have Jim White on all afternoon and just kind of make calls. and just w- Watch Buy helicopters it. run around. Watch Dimitar <laughs> Berbatov run around corridors and stuff like that. If I had that sort of money, that's exactly what I would do as a hobby on the last day of August and the last day of January.
0: Let's tell you what's uh, coming up on the show today because we've got a fairly busy show for you this afternoon. Where are this morning. <laughs> we going to talk about the Super Bowl, Mike Carlson around about 10 past 9 we're going to talk Liverpool from last night Is the uh, choke already on? Is it underway? Are we witnessing it in real time? 8.45 this morning, we're going to talk about that Darren's going to join us around about 8.35 to talk through the sports news Donika Ryan, we're going to talk to him around 8.15 And uh, the sports pages, we'll get to the sports pages right now And on time for a change Right, let's start with uh, the Irish Times this morning Schmidt the back players who beat the All Blacks Murray to return with Henshaw fullback likely to be the only other change so um, now they have Nathan White in their team starting at number 3 but I presume that's just a typo unless I mean, that would have been a much bigger story if Type 4 long was out right so Rory Best Keen Healy Rory Best Nathan White it says in the Irish Times but I presume that's not meant to be that's Type 4 Long it's uh, Devon Toner James Ryan Peter Manny, Josh van der Fler, CJ Stander and on the bench Jordan Larmour makes it Joey Carberry and John Cooney. Also on the bench, Jordy Murphy, Alton Delan, uh, Andrew Porter, Jack McGrath and Sean Cronin, which is interesting because um, that means Delane has... I mean, I, sometimes the benches in these probable teams aren't right, but Quinn Rue seems to be a favourite of his. Unless Rue's picked up an injury, who knows?
1: delan has been going pretty well for Connacht as well, resulting in a new contract there recently. So He
0: was on the bench for a big game over the Christmas period. And came off the bench. I was like, that's what is, is he just coming back from injury or are they resting him or is he on a minutes? Maybe he's on minutes. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, like uh, it, there's no question that if uh, Joe Schmidt is looking towards next year or the year after, you're probably looking at Ulton uh, Delan because who knows when Devon Turner is going to need to be replaced on a full time basis. But towards the World Cup, is he going to? I, I never would have thought that he would have uh, leapfrogged Quinn Roo and Joe Schmidt's thinking before the World Cup. DeLan. Yeah. I think he's, like, ultimately he's going to be a much better player in the long run, right? Yes. Like he's an explosive... Josh Schmidt, does he care about beyond uh, this autumn?
0: Well, I don't know, do you remember how when DeLan came out against England, there were some times where like... 2016, wasn't it? Just the whole thing would move. You're like, That's, he, you can see him having an impact on them all. Like, well, I like that, you know? But, it's a long um, time ago now at this point. Well, so we need a bit of carry bastardry in the team, don't we? Well, for sure. Uh, so slip up. We do not like this slip. Until Liverpool win a league, Steven Gerrard's slip is going to haunt them. Slip up. Liverpool failed to press home advantage at the top as Foxes snatch draw. Uh, the Ryan Line. GAA chief Tom Ryan on Parky Cueve and Liam Miller. Controversy. We'll get into that in, in just a little while. Great piece from Jack Anderson today. Uh, rules botch job made for GAA's winter of discontent. So he's pointing out that there was um, it wasn't just the Liam Miller fiasco. It was also the fact that a bunch of new rules were brought in and then kicked out before they were properly trialled without anybody actually having any important data on it, and also very pointedly making the case that the Director General generally comes out and tries to sell stuff like this, like uh, Park Duffy came out when the Sky Deal was done, he was front and centre making the points, this is why we're doing it, whether or not you agreed with him, he was at least out front and centre doing it, but um, when it came to the rules there was nobody making that case, um, Fully Loaded England have no excuses. Um, this is Lawrence Delalio saying that Eddie Jones will have no excuses if his fully loaded England team lose to Ireland in the Six Nations. And GA bullied into hosting Miller Games. So this was, um, again, Tom Ryan, the GA Director-General, his annual report, which will be um, officially presented to annual Congress next month. Uh, he had a line about... Um, he stated in his report he felt the GA had been bullied into a course of action by a public backlash. Now had been bullied into a course of action is in quotes, but had been bullied into a course of action that they would have done anyway. Yeah, that's the full quote. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> can you be bullied in something you're going to do anyway? I mean, I suppose you can. When your ma's is like, you're on your way to do something your ma tells you to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. That kind of stuff. Well, exactly.
1: Uh- Why are you telling me to do the stuff I was going to do anyway? that kind it, of stuff it, I'm just trying to <laughs> whenever whenever you speak like that to a parent I don't think you're ever in any rush to actually do that thing and it did strike me that the GA weren't in any rush to make the Liam Miller testimonial match happen in Parky uh, like there was remember there was a story that came out on like the Friday saying it's going to happen and then it was like actually no this hasn't been confirmed and then, then it took an extra few days to actually come around to the idea that this should actually happen I don't know there, there, there was there was a very simple out for all of this Uh, at the time and when the GEA talk about it now and it seems that that route hasn't been taken so clearly Tom Ryan feels very strongly about how put out the GEA were by by Yeah, he also
0: says they're going to change the rules so that they can um, on a case by case basis it doesn't have to go to one, they won't be uh, the structure of the rule book won't prevent them from doing this in future and two, there'll be a much easier kind of rubber stamping to allow um, I don't know if it's individual county boards to do it but certainly maybe central council will be able to make decisions on um, cases like this so it's like these rules don't work. We're going to change them. We were bullied, but then on the news with Marty Morrissey last night, he said "bullied" was a strong word. Which isn't it? You know, you put it in, you kind of have to stand over it. No, it's a very strong word, and
1: when you're writing it out, it's a deliberate choice of words. So, not sure why he wrote back on that one.
0: Uh, so here is the Irish Independent. Henshaw set for fullback as Van der Flier gets the nod. So there is a consensus forming about what this team is going to be. Um, Rory doesn't name the bench here. Um, He says uh, it's exactly the same team, except we're tied furlong in the independence team this morning. Uh, Neil Francis, petulant Jones has reached point of no return with disgruntled England. I'm just a little bit wary of writing off Eddie Jones to the point where we're like, he's just a comic book, not even a supervillain anymore, just like, you know, one of those extra baddies in the background. There's like Joker and Riddler and Mm -hmm. like he's Croc or somebody who you don't really know.
1: Well, no, I think he's a baddie hiding in plain sight where the baddie has had such a downward spiral that the baddie is no longer a threat and then suddenly he is a threat.
0: Harvey Dent. Exactly. Uh, Ryan insists GA will resist efforts to apply conditions to stadium grants. This was the other side of that whole conversation where Shane Ross had apparently said, look, it's public money that went into uh, Parky Quive. They should be opening this for a charity event in uh, Cork and apparently the GA were very upset about that. Um, Brendan Griffin apparently had also said that he would uh, tighten up financial arrangements so that grant-aided projects should be available to all sports. That's something we'll have to insist upon, said Shane Ross at the time, and the GAA apparently are going to resist any attempts. There was an inference at the time that the GAA should be under some moral, if not legal, compulsion to allow the use of our pitches for other sports because the association or the specific pitch had received public funding. Any funding we receive is and should continue to be predicated solely on the intrinsic value of Gaelic games. I mean that's an interesting case, and maybe, maybe that is the case. Maybe GA clubs um, should be making the case that they, of themselves, are worthy of grants. But the corollary to that is that there's a limited pot of money, and that the government has stated that they want to give multi-function community organisations money ahead of any individual sport. And so that, you know you can see there being tension there into the future. And that's not to say that individual GA clubs and products projects aren't, of course, absolutely worthy of funding. But we've got too many stadiums in the country that are lying mostly idle for large portions of the year and that aren't used properly. And one
1: of them is Don Cork at the moment. That's, uh, it, there's also a big vagueness around what the actual figure is there, and Tom Ryan didn't exactly help clear that up yesterday. He says it's somewhere in between 85 million and 110 million euro. At least That's at the worst-case scenario. Yeah,
0: huh, at least he had some details. There's, like, four separate things that they need to sort out. There's a tax issue, there's a mediation dispute with a contractor, and there's a couple of other things as well that he said that um, is the reason for the inexactitude. But you would assume that, like, uh, good-quality QSs and accountants can and auditors can kind of say, well, that is that window and that is that window, because it's still a massive difference between... The lower end and the upper end so i don 't know anyway, the Irish news for you this morning, um, Caro Kane has this story this is also part of the report gaA uncertain over extra cash for casement the gaA says it doesn 't know where the money will come from for any potential overspend in the new casement park on which ten million has already been spent. so uh, the estimate for construction was put at seventy seven and a half million. The gaA was contributing fifteen, and the other sixty was coming from the public purse, but obviously with the situation in the north, the uh, snafu that it is at the moment. Then who knows when the hell that's ever going to um, change? But again, a complete disaster for the GAA in the north, and in particular GA Belfast. Back page of the Herald this morning is Pool fail in Fox Hunt. Leader,
1: lead leaders unable to drive home advantage after city loss as they draw one all with Leicester City. The back page of the Irish Daily Star meanwhile goes with cold feet. Klopp fumes as nervy Pool mischance. You've got a stadium set to pay for itself, says Carlo Kane. there on Tom Ryan's quotes, and confusion reigns as Neil exits. So Hibbs last night insisted they didn't sack Neil Lennon, the the Irishman claims he did not resign from his job as gaffer. So what is clear here is that the 47-year-old has officially left his post along with assistant Gary Parker uh, and uh, Gordon Strachan has declared he's not interested in replacing Lennon. Last night, the club tried to clarify the managerial situation that has rumbled on since Friday because uh, that was when Lennon was suspended at the time. Uh, instead, the 300-word club statement provided more questions than answers. They insisted that Lennon was a roaring success as Hibs gaffer with records smashed on and off the pitch and that the manager had nothing... Done nothing wrong during a team meeting last Friday. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that one gets cleared up. Uh, back page of the mirror is Klopp Cold Snap. Cop boss frustrated as Reds miss a golden chance to lengthen lead at the top of the table. And the GEA set to open their grounds, is what they're taking from Tom Ryan yesterday. Uh, back of the sun then is Skating on Thin Ice. Cop slip up in bid to go seven points clear and spark pitch sweep row. Uh, blue don't know what you're doing, says the headline then regarding Bournemouth 4. Chelsea nil.
0: Yeah, we didn't even talk about this. Sarri ball, it's great. Three teams in the... It's oh, amazing, great. got the best out of these players. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yay. Oh. That's basically Chelsea season, in a Eight-second sound effect. The supporters first You don't
1: know what you're doing as the Italian replaced new signing Gonzalo Higuain with Olivier Giroud is probably the Nadir of... Uh, any situation there. You bring in and you replace him at he, he has kind of like fessed up in the aftermath of the game as Mauricio Sari tends to do and say, you know, maybe I'm just incapable of motivating these players. Uh, back page of the Irish Daily Mail is true believers. English jibes won't put us off Insists best and G A plan to settle stadium disputes and you've also got a picture there of Harry
0: Maguire because Liverpool frees as Foxes stand firm at Anfield. You were saying off air this is the choke that you were waiting for. You were predicting Liverpool were going to choke. Liverpool are chokers. That's what, that's what you believe. You've literally invented that conversation. If that's, if that's
1: a way for you to introduce your own uh, held belief that you desperately want Liverpool to choke, then that's I actually, fine.
0: Actually, I would like Liverpool to win the league, to finally you know, give peace to the afflicted.
1: Well, we, we can have this conversation again next year, and it will still be funny. So I don't think we should be wanting <laughs> You don't think they're going to choke? Or you think this is a choke? I think that if they'd won last night and then subsequently uh, lost the league... That it would be a, a choke. I think once you're within that six, once you're in that six-point radius in the month of January, I think it's still. I think the pursuer still has every chance as Manchester City do. They will have to go on an extraordinary run. And I think what we saw two nights ago is an Achilles heel mentally that Manchester City have. That when and do
0: Liverpool now also have one?
1: I think they have...
0: I or think should they have had a excru- penalty and there should have been a red card and they got screwed last night and that's all that happened. Uh, and they'll come out of this going, we got screwed, don't worry about it. We're not going to get screwed every game and let's not leave it in the hands of the referees. Come on. Potentially, but uh, like, if they would won that game last night, for example, the
1: cliche would have been, oh, these are the type of games the champions win. Yeah. And, uh, loads of those this season where they
0: have won. Um, there should have been a red card, Keita. Sorry, penalty. Did he not dive properly? Is that what happened? Well, he needs to take some uh, tips from Mo Salah. I really. mean, come on. Like, if you're in that dressing room and Cade doesn't go down when he's clearly getting tripped, afterwards everybody's going, get down, I got down. No? Well,
1: absolutely you are, given the way uh, it currently is. But like, I think the Cade incident is also kind of a backup for what Mo Salah's been doing in recent weeks, where you've got to flop sometimes to actually get what you deserve. Uh, which is unfortunate, but uh, I wouldn't be blaming Salah too much for that. Uh, The the Racing Post, I almost call it the Racing Post, like you do every morning. The Racing Post, finally, uh, the back page goes with Men of Steel, Rugby League superheroes ready for battle in Bedford Super League. And the front of the Racing Post is "Sand Down and Balance, but Dublin Festival hopes high. I presume that's to do with the weather this weekend, of course. It is a Dublin Racing Festival uh, at Leopardstown this weekend. Yeah, the weather's going to be
0: good on Saturday. It's going to be clear, it's going to be cold, but it's going to be clear and crisp. Yeah, clear and
1: crisp, and it's very hopeful that the two-day festival is going to go ahead.
0: Yeah, I'd say it's uh, nailed on it's going to go ahead. So, we have a pair of tickets starting against England to give away an OTBM this morning, with thanks to Glenn Isk. You can, um, very easy to enter this, just uh, retweet or share the stream wherever you're watching on YouTube, on Facebook, or on Twitter. Make sure you're following at Off the Ball AM on Twitter or at Off the Ball on Facebook, and you can tag whoever you're bringing in the comments, and we're going to announce the winner at the end of this morning's OTBAM. So, you've got an hour and a half left to enter this you could be heading along to watch uh, Ireland 42, England 6 on Saturday. That'd be good. good afternoon's work, wouldn't it? It would. The, the six points would be a real uh, crown-the-tooth. For us, then. Uh. Well, for us. To see oh, no, two, two, uh, two penalties. One, one early. It's like, it's 9-6 at half time. And then we just come out and blow them away.
1: Well, they, if the two penalties are given away by Robbie Henshaw running from full-back and absolutely decking somebody, then I'll absolutely be happy with that.
0: <laughs> All right, Board Bia have teamed up with Dunnaker Ryan to launch their new campaign, Chicken Make It Your Way. They're calling on everybody to spread their wings and experiment with new recipes and flavours with chicken. You can check out boardbea.ie forward slash quality chicken for some recipe inspiration. Here's Dunnaker Ryan on England Chicken and James Ryan.
1: Donica Ryan, you're very welcome back. How are you? Yep,
2: great, thank, you. thank uh, you. You're not home for long? Uh, just today and uh, hopefully back on uh, Friday to watch uh, watch Ireland, England on Saturday.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, you're here with Thanks to Board B, as we can see uh, on your polo shirt there. And the Chicken Make It Your Way campaign. Uh, I presume you eat a lot of chicken.
2: I do, yeah. I do uh, eat a lot of chicken. Um, I think uh, I maybe about a minimum of t- 20 to 30 grams of protein in a meal, so for breakfast and lunch and uh, for dinner. Uh, I suppose like in a normal diet, you probably wouldn't eat that much protein in the morning, so I'd mix it up with uh, either eggs, but uh, sometimes I'd, I'd have um, shredded chicken from the day before or um, you know I'd have a, a, put a crock pot on during the week. and. Uh, it l- does me, uh, for, for snacking during the week as well and trying to create menus as well. It's, it's great that be the, the quality short, sure, uh, sign as well, they're, are getting on board and it's great to be partner with them. But, uh, I'm always looking for recipes as well. I've got a nice, um, chicken goujon, uh, recipe you now. It's, uh, takes maybe 10, 15 minutes to put together. So, uh, with, uh. Go on, I'll give it to us. I'll go on, I'll give it to you. So, uh, basically, I uh, can smash up your chicken fillet, flatten it as much as you can and then uh, I cover with clean film as well and uh, get a rolling roll pin, pin and flatten it out. Uh, get an egg and some uh, four slices of uh, brown bread you can get your neutral butter or whatever to blend it up and then uh get some olive oil and uh smear the it all into a, a, a bowl really and uh, salt and pepper olive oil uh, egg and then with your strips then you put it on the oven for at 240 degrees for 10 minutes and uh it's a nice little, nice little snack as well, so uh, if you're ever struck for something nice and healthy, that's a good way to go.
1: And you would give the seal of approval yourself?
2: Yeah, yeah, I have at least uh, once once every couple of weeks, yeah, so just as a kind of a treat as well. And, but, yeah, things like you know, ch- chicken noodle soup as well, all that kind of stuff, uh, because it's a f- fantastic for us, Protein-wise, it's it's great. No carbs, and uh, it's uh, very very little fat in it as well. So it's it's basically perfect for us. And it obviously, carries a lot more nutrients as well. So uh, trying trying to get lean as well. It's uh, it's it's a struggle when you get older, but uh, it's um, it's good.
1: Is it something that you always do yourself? Are you a big fan of cooking?
2: Uh, before I, I um, in college, I, I, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't have had the time to invest in, but that's why those, those crock pots are great. You can just put a, put a chicken breast or you can cut them up or even a whole full chicken into a, into a pot, leave it there for eight hours, and it's really... um so, so when you take it like eight hours later on. It's already coming home from uh, a day's training. Like I would have started training in college, maybe at half, six, seven in the morning, and then you're gone all day, and then it's nice to come home to have a, a meal after you've, you finish your studies and you're training again that afternoon. So, um, so yeah, so would if... Obviously, part, part of big part of being a professional is the fuel you actually put into your body, and um, for for me, it was just uh, the best uh, best uh, sort of nutrients I could get into my body. So um, I, yeah, I, I, I do I do cook a lot, and uh, yes, I suppose it's sometimes you're you're trying to break up the monotony of um, of the boiled boiled chicken uh, pre-match meal that we get, in, especially I'll oh, be having boiled chicken and pasta, which is very very boring. But uh, it's plain eating for a day of the game. But during the during the week, it's a good uh, good time to experiment.
1: Yeah, I suppose when you
2: move to France as well, you got to up your cuisine game a small bit. You do, yeah, you do. Yeah, they've. Um, I, I wouldn't have been in big into bread before. Um, so uh, whereas when you see the queue out the door for bread, uh, it's it's incredible people queuing for bread. So um, yeah, it's, like it's no storm in Ireland. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and yeah, it's great. i have it's great to like, go every day now. I've gone to routine of just getting a baguette, um, so it's probably my best used phrase in French at this <laughs> day. You know, so I'm very good at saying it. But uh, it's it's yeah, it's class. And uh, yeah, like um, I suppose yeah, another other French dish is um, I would be when I went over there initially. I just tried to uh, expose myself as much of the French culture culture as possible. And so I tried to, like you know escargots and connu- or frogs legs, and then um, I basically tried this. Uh, this local French uh, in the, a chef in, in, the, in Nice recommended. I told him I was over for playing rugby, and uh, in France, and he said, "Oh, you must try try new dishes." And uh, he recommended a uh, andouillette, uh, which is a, a sausage, uh, French delicacy. So an andouillette, so we brought it out, and uh, so uh, yeah, basically it tasted like. So I wasn't very very bad, but he kept coming back over to. To see what it's. Do you like? Do you like the? Do you like it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's great. And it was like, uh, it's like uh, Jesus. He said, like, my mother's recipe. It tastes like, or maybe your mother's toenail clippings or something. <laughs> it was awful." But um, so I did I did a good enough job trying to hide it under the chair and <laughs> threw, threw a few into the <laughs> threw, threw a few into a napkin and put it in my pockets and uh, threw it into the bin. But uh, yeah. So anything to not, save your man's um, sound so save save a bit of blushes. But no, it's 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 great. You kind of. But over France, you kind of finally learn how to eat a croissant without uh, you know covering yourself full of crumbs. So you kind of learn those, those skills, which is basically just don't buy croissants. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it, that's so, the key. That's the key, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you are on the road to Rome. It sounds
1: like you're well-equipped then to stay in France forever.
2: Uh, the language is still uh, still working on the English to get to get right for for, for the French. So uh, now my, my just French is getting a bit better slowly. Um, but yeah, I like I really like uh, really like France. Um, just uh, Paris has been fantastic. Really enjoyed the experience. Lots of stuff to do, and um, you know it's really really cool in interesting at the moment um, as well with the players we have, the people that are there, and uh, yeah, it's just really just enjoying it. That's that's uh, it's, it's actually really great experience to do to be able to do.
1: Yeah, because there is such a mix of cultures in that racing team as well at the moment. So you're all kind of in there, and you're all getting to know this uh, alien city at the same time.
2: That's exactly because rugby isn't that big in the north of France. Um, so you have a lot of guys who are coming from all around France, and um, you know they don't really have the the, the your family, or cousins, or guys you went to school with, uh, a kind of um, social social structure behind you like, as you would have in Munster, or Connacht, or Leinster, or Ulster. So uh, the guys really do gel together an awful lot more and, and obviously the wives and girlfriends do as well and um, with all the kids, which is great. So it does create a good family culture in the club and uh, to be fair, the the, the president and uh, all the staff that are interesting, they do, they, they do their best to try and create that culture by doing events together as well. And uh, even though as players we, we train, we're waiting other maybe six days a week, so it is pretty full on. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's, uh, it's it's as I say, it's an enjoyable experience.
1: Is there any player that you're particularly friendly with? Obviously, Simon would be the would be the obvious one to say. I'm
2: trying to stay away from him. yeah, <laughs> no, no. No, yeah he's, my, he's, uh, he's in my fr- We have French class now on Mondays and Wednesdays, so he's himself, and myself, and Pat Lambie are. Uh, are in the uh, the honors class, but uh, listen, Simon's <laughs> come along. He's who's the you know, star pupil. I, I, Simon is because he's the dad is mm. that is French, so he understands um, a lot more words than than I would. But uh, yeah, look, it's uh, but it's great to have because it's um, yeah, he's great. It's great him there as well, and he's great having him on the pitch as well. So um, yeah, it's good. I don't know, like I yeah, would want him off. To be good crack Bernard Larue. Uh, is a great guy. He's been wrestling for a number of years. Henri Chavancy. When LaRon and uh, Teddy Ibrahim, the, the nine as well, the small nine, um, yeah, they all get on really, really well. So it's uh, uh it's not like um, in uh, in Ireland, uh, as I said, in in uh, before the um, Munster and Glenster and Connacht in Ulster, you'd have maybe like four or five nicknames, and none of them would be complimentary at all. Like so, <laughs> but ours, you know, over there, it's yeah, you know, you don't really have that as much. But uh, to be fair, everyone is. Uh, yeah, everyone is looking out for each other, which is which is great because everyone's going through the same sort of issues as well. So, and uh, that's and that's a good uh, good thing to have.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that uh, the timing that you went over and the timing that Simon went over, and uh, Simon's obviously been speaking about it this week because he's been mentioned in an Ireland context and it is Six Nations week, and uh, he's saying that uh, I don't think it would have been as blunt and cold as it has been in terms of his shutout out from the Ireland team. Obviously, kind of uh, he, he was. Uh, he had a few less caps. He was uh, a bit bit younger going over and stuff like that. So maybe he expected it to be uh, a little less of a shutout than it has been for him. Did you ever get that sense from him that he, he was kind of a little bit disappointed that it was blunt and cold in the way he was shut out from Ireland?
2: Um, to be honest, I, I weirdly enough, I really haven't sat down and talked with him at all about it, that kind of stuff because um, uh, he he look he's he's always an optimistic guy anyway. Mm. So uh, I I really haven't really talked talked to him about it. Um, I. I all I kind of saying, look, they're really going to love this experience. Is watch, because he was when initially he was talking about um, when he was talking about we went to, to come to France and just to sample something new. I said, look, you can, yeah, there's a lot of other nice clubs out there. But I said, look, to be fair, you're coming to Paris. Like if you have an offer from of a club from Paris, it's such a fantastic experience to have, and um, like, there's so much that goes on there as well. And, uh, that was pretty much it. And then just for, er, ever from, ever since then, really, we've, uh, you know, you're just trying to figure out, okay, well, we have a day off on Thursday a Rarity. But mm. What are you going to do? Where are we going to go? What are you going to do? Or what restaurant are you going to go to? And, and, uh, that's like, you know, you're literally, it's hilarious because you're trying to, um, basically like, uh, Take, take, take contacts from chefs because uh, <laughs> pass them on to each other so we can get bookings into places. Cause, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's just, which is great because um, just, that's what it's about. It's just like you know, um, just as I said, we're, we're in a, one of the best cities in the world. Like you know, and we're so fortunate. And um, I think uh, you're just making the most of playing there and. and I'd say, look, he's a man that kind of goes day by day, and um, he's always very positive, like the, the club love him, like, you know, they really do, they're mad, and all the supporters love him as well, and, uh, look, as if something else happens down the line, I'm sure he'll he there's no fear of him anyway
1: but um, yeah uh, We should talk about Ireland England of course uh, kicking off the Six Nations this Saturday afternoon the, From your own perspective it must be interesting looking at the likes of James Ryan and Devon Toner leading the way obviously in terms of the depth chart of second row it would have been interesting to see uh, how the likes of Ty Burnley and Ian Henderson would have performed are, are you concerned at all by the, the injuries in that second row at the moment or you th- do you think that it's in the more than capable hands of Quinn Roux should an injury happen?
2: Yeah so uh, I like, I think um I think Joe was l- really trying to look for a line up caller to replace Dev in case something, if he had to get, if he got injured. Um, like Dev is, you know, you, you look at the, the quality you mentioned the quality second ones that are there. But uh, and I read an interview before about Devin, uh that he had a, a unique set of skills. He was kind of joking about the, the taking thing, <laughs> but he actually. It, yeah, he's 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 right. Like he's yeah. got experience of calling and lineouts under pressure. Like, and he's had he admitted himself he's had bad days as well, and he he's learned from that. And that's the frustrating thing, I'd imagine, for East to be and Joe that they they'd love to get the other guys, James Ryan. I know he's called a couple of times, and uh, um, and Ian Henderson more experience uh, to to call lineouts at that level. Like, and I know he had got it in. Uh, a bit in the November series it was a bit frustrating against Argentina as well, but it's it's just um, that platform is pivoted for Joe to launch his attack off, and no better example is than the Jacob Stockdale Troy. So you don't win that lineup ball, or you don't have this lineups done later on, earlier on in the game that uh, maybe Dev would have put together. Then you don't you don't do so well, and it's just you know getting those experience for those for those lineup callers because you are trying to if you are a an athlete that is performing, you can just concentrate on just running around the pitch, and just hitting rooks, carrying ball, making tackles. There's no, there's no other science to it than that. But if you're having to do the strategy game as well, uh, which Devin is familiar with, you're having to, you know, so if you have a bad day at the it's kind of take, it take away from your own game as well. And then you're when you're 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 you're, do, um, you're dipping into the the thought process of, oh God, what I'm going to do next which it takes away from the aggressive element of your game and that's that's I mean, it's, that's a frustrating thing of sometimes being a line of caller as well um, because you know you're, you kind of just wish you could just go out and play and not have any um, to worry about anything else but um, at the same time it's a it's, uh, it's a pivotal part of the game to make make the guys around you look better make the hooker look better and stuff and uh, I think you know yeah Quinn Roo is doing a lot of uh can line over in in Connets, so he's getting good exposure to this I think they're doing kind of the same similar systems that Ireland are doing so it's good that Ty Byrne is doing the same system for Munster than he's at Ireland no he, well, he's had some good days there doing they're doing some good things there as well he's got two uh two very good hookers in nice Scanlon and Reese um, Reese Marshall as well um but like it, it is it is important because to have that depth it's one thing having we have fantastic second rows I don't there's, there's the death, even Ulton Delan. Now he's an incredible, incredible player. Um, but as I said, it's just that technical uh, element of call and lineouts and guys just literally having to sit down, have the discipline to to literally look at videos upon videos sometimes and just understand scenarios and uh, have a plan put in place.
1: How long will it take for James Ryan to become that top class lineout caller?
2: Oh, you'd ho- you'd ho- you'd, ho- you'd love if it was, you know, if, if uh, we're over the Six Nations, it'd be great, but unfortunately like you know it's it's uh, it just takes time it just takes time you just the more games you do the more scenarios you you do and then the relationships you've got to build with your the guys around you and your hooker because basically you're you are they're there to facilitate him you facilitate him and make him feel comfortable as well and uh just to build that relationship. So that's when you look at Paul O'Connell was the best at doing that he just knew the limitations of uh, hookers and he knew what the capabilities of them and uh, between getting to know the person and, and sitting down and investing time and um, and some days it didn't go right as well and, and he'd be the first to say it uh, he had a f- few bad days against Scotland but he learnt a lot, a lot from those days and it's you learn more from those bad days than you do from, do from winning so, um, so yeah, I, hopefully sooner rather than later if you're looking at England this
1: weekend, where can they hurt us in that area? In the lineout, in the second row, maybe at the breakdown as well.
2: Yeah. So we like. Um, so, for instance, there's an example, well, we played two years ago. We um, when we played Ireland or played England here, uh, we did a good day. We did a pretty okay day at the, at the line-out that day, and uh, Peter had a great day cleaning up on, on their lineout, and that was a kind of you can see. Mario Toja was was doing the calls that he's been given from the coach. But there's a massive element um of player ownership as well to own the own the the analysis that you're doing rather than getting a getting the menu and just doing what you're told so then you can kind of read scenarios on the pitch um so yeah this week meitoja unbelievably athletic uh, guy courtney laws he's put on a bit of timber as well um we've got i know Billy Billy Vanipolo, wouldn't be the key jumper ever uh, to lift but uh, and you got uh, obviously a toss it with George Cruz and Joe you now uh, Joe Longsbury now has come back in from injury so and it had, a, it had an okay game I suppose against Leinster as um, uh, for, for Wasps but uh, yeah I think uh, the way Saracens are going they're, they're leading the Europe and they're, they're close to the table in the Viva and I'm sure they're probably going to go more more Saracens boys and as a unit their familiarity of how they operate is, is probably better, um, so you would hope to put a bit of pressure on. But I think Devon is um, experienced enough with Simon Easterby as well, and obviously bestie he knows bestie at this stage of what how 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 um, how he, he, he how he throws and how he operates as well. So I, I I'd hope the lads with Peter as well there be there'd be not much of an issue. I think. You mentioned Courtney
1: Laws's extra timber there. How many chicken fillets will that take to actually put on that amount of muscle?
2: Um, I'd say a significant amount because um, it it just takes a long time to put on muscle. It's easier to put on fat, uh, so I, uh, some, some, uh, it's just basically just ta- it just takes time. As um, but like he's a he's a serious athlete, and uh, yeah, I just it'd be interesting to see whether they play him six because or, I told you six because I think uh, because Ireland's breakdown uh, is so good. Uh, if opposition teams start picking back row players that just contest heavily at the breakdown, it might disrupt Ireland, I think. But uh, I don't. I don't, uh, I don't. I don't. There's not many English players in the in the in the team that I think we can combat uh, the uh, Irish breakdown. Can you see an upset happening this Saturday? Can you see Ireland getting beaten? Uh, I think. I imagine Joe would be putting that scenario of the last time they played England was in Twickenham mm. and uh, lifting the, the Grand Slam and. And obviously, uh, Joe is fantastic at putting, putting um, a scenario in play where to, 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 to challenge, uh, to channel the focus of the player. Like, you know, he knows he has the system, is just to get the mindset right, uh, to get the focus right and the concentration. And, uh, and uh, because once Ireland can do that, and you can see what they did in, against New Zealand, is that you just saw a real measured performance, just uh, even some of the plays that weren't really. They weren't probably on some of the plays uh, but they literally just the players themselves made them work as well because they were so focused on Joe um I think he's he's a se- season pro this this stage um kind of been used by the way Eddie Jones is uh, and his coach and staff are coming out and talking to the media I don't know if they're trying to just ruffle feathers for whatever it's kind of a bit bit desperate I suppose, if they're doing that sort of stuff because they should be really focusing on how they're how they're or their own houses in order, I think. Mm. But uh, It seems we've got into their heads a small bit. Uh, um, yeah, I suppose the way it com- comes across in the media, maybe. Um, I think um, the defence coach Mitchell was talking about Be- Ireland being boring, but should look if Ireland pumped them the weekend, which they're capable, well capable of doing, um, you know, like he'd, he'd have a very unboring like, review on the Monday Tuesday. Um, but like, I, I think um, I think Ireland at the moment, just, they're so, they're, like you can see, likes Rob Kearney, he'll be probably coming back in because he's trying to trust it. He knows the system, or Joe knows that he knows the system and he's trustworthy there. So, um, and any guys, I think that would have been a hindrance. What would have been a hindrance for Ireland before was starting the uh, Six Nations was that level of, uh, how organized the players were from coming back just getting together and as their six nations grew you could see the Irish team getting better because the more time they were able to spend together and I think that's why he'll hope to stick to the guys he's he's used to uh, because they know how the systems and the plays that Joe wants them to do uh, will be able to be more efficient doing in Portugal last week and this week. So um so yeah I think I'll be I'll be very hopeful for this weekend. Um I'm just it will be very interesting to see um I, you know, obviously I'd like to see um, Dev do, do great uh, but like as I said from a from work on I suppose uh, they, they need to find another line of colour. but it's probably not the game to start time to with that sort of stuff. Yeah
1: I don't think England is ever experimentation time. No. Uh, Dunnica thanks really for coming in great Tell to catch me, up yeah. and best yeah. luck for the rest of the season. Yeah,
0: sure thanks. Dunnica Ryan giving us some tips about uh, line outs and also how to cook chicken properly. We'll, we'll cut out the cooking chicken bit properly and put that up and we can try out Dunnika Ryan's uh, Tasty chicken guzhans.
1: Yeah, like I, I am of course the culinary expert uh, in uh, off the bottom Moment after I did that, the one cooking piece we've ever done, so I'll be able to, to take that recipe and deliver it to perfection.
0: Yeah, I mean he's another rugby player who looks like he could fit two of you inside him. Owen oh, and disappears and it's like why, why don't you? You know, it's like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not
1: sure. Like That that may be, instead of the chicken fillet question, it's uh, how uh, how many many of of a smaller than average human being can you actually consume?
0: Right, let's talk about the uh, potential England 15 because the English hacks have all been coming up with their 15s and they think that George Ford is going to start at 10. Not to a man, but there's definitely, I wouldn't call it a consensus, but a majority of the English rugby hacks think that George Ford will start at 10 with uh, Owen Farrell at twelve
1: seems that way, yeah. If you go to the Daily Telegraph rugby writers this morning, I think uh, Ben Coles is the only one that has the dissenting voice. That it might actually be uh, Henry Slade and Manu Tuilagi in midfield with uh, Owen Farrell pushed up. Maybe to he's the got return. the good sources. Maybe he's got the good sources, but... Uh, there's also the likes of uh, Daniel Schofield and, um, and Charlie Morgan listed amongst them as well. So they'd be kind of on the beat quite a bit in terms of English rugby. So this is Charlie, Charlie Morgan. 15, yeah. But, like, let's, let's just, uh, should we just go through this one? Like, I mean, Charlie Morgan is, uh, it's close to consensus in terms of the majority of picks here. His one is kind of along the, the mean line, if you can use that phrase. So if we start with the, the, the front row. Uh, Michael Vunipola, Jamie George and Kyle Sinclair. Yeah. Okay, okay, so let's just take that and put, put Ireland's front row up against them. England don't stand a prayer. They don't stand a prayer in that line. The,
0: the name of this segment is Five Ways England Can Beat Ireland, Owen. No, it's not. It's uh, looking at
1: England's team and uh, re-evaluating our confidence. And Do I need to check my own confidence and say I need to scale us back? Actually, no. After looking at that team, it's like we need to be more confident. If there's a potential that they fail pathetically in Dublin at the weekends and the we
0: pulverise them. We've almost never pulverised them. There's been once... Broke Park? Yeah. Was there another time we actually pulverised them? There isn't really. Last last year, maybe the, the squadron
1: doesn't represent it too much. But in that first half, we pulverised England on the way to the Grand Slam.
0: We did. Did they score a last minute try to get? They did. To, so, it's finished. so there was a bit of gloss on it. 24-15 was the score last year, right? I'm fairly sure they scored a late try, right? Didn't they? After the game, we were basically celebrating. Ole, ole, was yeah, no, the, the, the players were drinking pints while they ran in that try. Yeah. Uh, the last time that we we beaten by ten points in twenty fifteen. There's a lot more big wins well, you for them. 2015 to 2019. 2011.
1: This is the greatest rugby team we've ever had. We've just been the All Blacks. We've just come off the best year we've ever had in rugby. A lot, like, you can talk about injuries all you want, but the injury situation isn't actually that bad. We're in a pretty good place, depth wise. Maybe when it comes to the second row, we'll weaken in and around the 60th minute win. And every, Ir- every irrespective
0: of the form of the two teams going into games, it is important to remember that um, no team wins these games. We certainly don't win them, as a matter of course, easily.
1: That's going to change this weekend. It's going to change this weekend. Like, name one line in that England team that is better than Ireland's. Let me see their back row. Let's have a look. The back row is going to be... Uh, Vuna pull at eight, road? Mark Wilson on one side of him, and Tom Curry on the other side of him. Okay, so Curry's a kid, right? Yeah. He's a, he's a good kid. Good kid. Got a, got a bright future. But 20 uh, years of age. This is going to be his, obviously his Six Nations debut. In the here and now, in the present... He's going to get eaten alive by Ireland's back row.
0: Yeah, it's probably, okay. So no, well, a second row, with Toje and Cruz. If you're telling me Courtney Laws can't make the team, that's not a bad second row. Um, no,
1: uh, like uh, it could be Cruz. Uh, th- that is probably the one position that's furthest from consensus. I think from Charlie Morgan's perspective, Launchbury or Laws could also go in there alongside uh, Maro Toje. So it's really between Cruz, Launchbury, and Laws. Uh, are, are any of them paired with paired with Toje on the same level as James Ryan and Devon Toner?
0: Say it. It's not no. a million miles away. It, I think that, like, I think they're not a million miles away. I think that equally, they could have really good games and be just as good as our second row. Yeah. I don't think it's like, beyond the balance possibility for England. Let's talk ourselves into a way that England can actually win this game. Without, you go line for line, it's the same conversation that we had three weeks ago when Brian Driscoll said, one player, maybe two, one player really. You're, you're, getting, you're getting into the sort of, depends, depends on France the same. shows
1: up rounds here.
0: Well, I was just reading the match report from the time we beat them in the Aviva. We beat them 13-9 in 2017. And post-match, the quote on the BBC website, Dennis Hickey is saying, quoted as saying, this is going to go down as one of the great Irish victories. That is a fantastic England team. England were going to win the Grand Slam. Yeah. And we stopped them winning the Grand Slam. We stopped them 13-9. It wasn't a... And we played well. And they didn't play well. Like So that's really where England should be considered. They've had this horrific 12-month period... Potentially because a lot of injuries happened. Billy Vinopolo wasn't playing, Tulagi wasn't playing. There was no consistency of selection. Like, I think it's a real thing, them not having players because of the uh, premiership. And I think that we shouldn't get carried away. The spread is nine points in this, and I think that England are going to finish inside that. And I think that it's much closer to a 60-40 game than the 90-10 game that we're all that's strutting
1: around. Other than Billy Vinopolo, who gets into that Ireland team? Does Manitoulaghi start uh, in the midfield for us?
0: I mean, is Manitoulaghi going to start ahead of Bundy? He ain't going um, to start ahead of any of the rest of our centres. So maybe, you know. He, I, I think if Joe Schmidt is picking it, and he has the pick of Ireland and England, it looks like a completely different thing because he's had them for, you know, three years in the system and taught them all how to play. Like, uh, are we really saying that he couldn't do anything better with... Courtney Laws and Otoje, the, the guile and athleticism of those players, Josh Schmidt could use that. Probably,
1: but... If Josh Schmidt like was the England coach, who would be favourites for this game? If he, if he was England coach for the same period that Ellie Jones has been, and Ellie Jones is Ireland manager for the same period that Josh
0: Schmidt has been... I would be predicting a 25-point victory for, uh, for England. Really? Yeah. So why aren't you predicting a 25-point victory for Ireland then? Um, because it's England, and we never beat them by 25 points. So you, you think,
1: in just pure raw talent, England actually have a better team than Ireland? I didn't say anything like that. Never, Nowhere near that. But you were saying that a 25-point win, if you reverse the coaches, it would be a 25-point win for England. Uh, that's a pretty substantial uh, rubber stamping of the qualities that England have in their squad. And you may be right. Maybe, like, bigger population... Uh, far more resources yeah. maybe in terms of natural talent they could be doing a lot better what to turn into their national team well I mean it obviously depends on who the Ireland coach was
0: well you were saying Eddie Jones Eddie Jones yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that, yeah. This was, so you, that kind of brings it down the other direction as yeah, well yeah, so. yeah, totally. in your view
0: I don't think, like, we, I think I don't Eddie think Jones has been
1: quickly written off here I don't and, think and we would respond
0: be, well to Eddie Jones in Ireland so it's just, it's just, it's just, no thanks
1: yeah, like we've obviously been quite offended as a nation by him talking about Johnny Sexton's health and stuff like that, which is a bit precious on our point of view uh, and like getting uh, carried away with what one man says. And he clearly does it just as a bit of a
0: joke. I, look, I do think that we are chronically underrating England and forgetting that. Like, I don't know what uh, the odds would have been or what the spread would have been before that game when, they, when we beat them 13-9, but I'm sure it was much closer. There's no way we were nine-point favourites going into that game. I'd say they were favourites. Potentially heading into that game exactly. And there's a re- their there's their a team hasn't changed that much. Their team hasn't changed that much, and actually, it's fitter now. It's potentially better now. They always do well in World Cup years, and uh, I just think we should be careful.
1: I think we should be getting carried away right now because ultimately, if you're right, at least we had these moments, these <laughs> moments of hope. That's put good point. That's a, good point. That's a good point. You're
0: right, you're right, you're right. I apologise. Let's go, let's go book mental. Right, we uh, caught up with the Irish rugby coach, Adam Griggs, ahead of Ireland's first game in the Six Nations on Friday night at five o'clock in Energy Park. Have a look.
3: Well, it's fine. I I think um, people might not know, but I work with the Sevens during the week as well, so while our Fifteens are all weekends because of the players' other commitments, I'm with the Sevens group as well, so that's allowed me to see players um, training day in, day out, and then obviously what they do on the World Series is important to them as well, so um, myself and Anthony are in current dialogue, I have a a desk right next to him, so um, we've had some pretty clear guidelines and know what's happening with those players as well, but you also can't underestimate what they can bring to a side because while we've got some experience in our 15s, you know, they get to compete against the high-level um, athletes you know, each World Series. So they're more than capable of stepping into a 15s jersey as well. Well, there's no risk that some of your key frontline players might be taken away for sevens because you remember last year three of the most experienced players went off to play it. And I can totally understand that was a World Cup qualification year. But do you still have, I suppose, first call for the Six Nations period over who you can play? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's first call, but as I say, because myself and Anthony work so close, we've got it pretty clear um, of who will be a fifteen. You know, who will be a regular in the fifteens, and then who in those sevens can help bolster some of the positions that maybe we lack a little bit of depth in.
0: Before that game, obviously on Friday evening, there is a Legends game taking place at five o'clock. Sorry, at seven o'clock in the RDS this Friday night. So. The Ireland versus England rugby legends—it's kind of Ireland and Scotland versus England. Um, so Scott Hastings is going to be donning a green jersey. I, I presume the Scots are all playing for Ireland. Anyway, it's uh, all to help raise funds for uh, Dottie Weir's Foundation. Ireland against England legends—the 1st of February at the RDS. Kickoff is at 7 o'clock, and you can get tickets on Ticketmaster.ie. So Gordon Darcy, Malcolm McEli, Shane Byrne, Joss Lucy, Mike Tindall are all going to play. Um, for a number of rugby charities, including the Dottie Weir Foundation. And as I said, tickets are on sale at um 15 quid for general sale and 10 for students so should be a great night the night before
4: the game Darren how are you? Morning Gerard very well it's not a good morning for Liverpool fans they're frustrated this morning the Reds missed the chance to move 7 points clear at the top of the Premier League table Leicester held them to a 1-1 draw Sadio Mane got Liverpool off to the perfect start with the opener inside 4 minutes Leicester hit back through Harry Maguire and the Foxes became the first club outside the top 6 to take points off the leaders this season much to the annoyance of Jurgen Klopp who was particularly frustrated by two ref- refereeing decisions, Maguire equalised for Leicester but had earlier escaped a red card for a tackle on Sadio Mane. Just minutes before he scored, he was shown a yellow after he took Mane down. Naby Keita tripped by Ricardo Pereira and Klopp felt that should have been a penalty.
5: I, I really don't understand why you ask me that, because I'm not a referee no. so we ask but him... You're a manager oh, and you, you, no, I'm a manager, so you work pretty much maybe longer in football than I do maybe it would be interesting what, what, uh, what you think about that. I'm not sure it's, it's, is it smart... Is it what he's doing? Yeah. It's a. I would say it's a 100% chance at least, and I think that's the situation. That's something which, which gives you the, the chance or the chance or the, which tells the ref has yes, to get give a red card. So because not only Sadio is through, yeah. I'm pretty sure Mo is on the other side, so we can play yes. two versus Schmeichel. But, again, Martin Atkinson thought it's um, not um, a red card, he gave yellow card. And if we had VAR, maybe Chieta would have had a penalty as well, because he looked like his left foot was caught by Ricardo. I don't think that you that you need a VAR for that, because of the best position on the pitch had a ref again. So, that's it. But he, he doesn't want to give it. I think we agree it was a penalty.
4: Now, the pressure is mounting on the Chelsea head coach, Mirceo Sarri, this morning. The Blues suffered a shock 4-0 defeat at Bournemouth last night. It is Chelsea's heaviest league loss since 1996 and has seen them being overtaken by Arsenal on goal difference. After the game, Sarri kicked his coaching staff out of the dressing room and locked the door as He began a one-hour inquest talking with his players but isn't sure if he got the answers he needed.
6: No, I wanted only to understand uh, why. Why we played very well in the first half. And uh, why? After uh, we considered the first goal, uh, can happen. We had only to react, we had only to continue to play, we had only to continue to defend. And we reacted uh, very badly, I think, because uh, we uh, we reacted uh, in the offensive phase, uh, not as a team, but uh, as 11 individual players. And then we stopped to defend. And so uh, we were in uh, trouble. Um, uh, I cannot understand... uh, uh, why? I don't know if the problem uh, uh, are the players or, 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 or it's my fault. I, I am not able to motivate uh, this, uh, this team, these uh, players.
0: That's the type of stuff that gets you sacked. The admission that you can't motivate the players.
4: But he wants to he get did sacked. say I'm not sure if it's the players though. It's more likely them.
0: But as soon as you say that, the board have to step in because they're like, you're literally telling us you can't do your job. You've said it now. We have grounds to sack you. We probably will be able to wriggle off, paying you the massive compensation that your uh, contract demands. See you, Murcio. Hard
4: to say. Way back. See you way back from, isn't it?
0: Like, who are you gonna like? Who's he gonna get rid of? Everybody, because this team was good at the start of the season, right?
1: It's not a bad team. Started the season very well. Went unbeaten for a long period of time at the start of the year. Like, that, I would like to have seen what happened in that one-hour inquest. And he locked the dressing room door and kicked all the staff out. The fact like, that he kicked
4: the staff out is a bit odd. Like, is, does he have trust issues with them as well as maybe, the players?
1: Yeah. Must do. Um, also, as well, like, he's, uh I know he kind of just gets by by eating whatever he eats on the sideline. Like, I, I just imagine that once the full time whistle goes, he goes for the to smoke about a, a full tw- twenty pack. <laughs> oh. Like, whether or not he was smoking, is in he the not allowed? Like, like
0: a, uh, what you call it? What are they called? Vape. Uh, nicotine vape. patches. No, he, vape. I, I, I,
1: vape? I don't think you're allowed to have vape on the sideline either. Can he not secretly vape? I, and I can't <laughs> imagine. Uh, a, <laughs> I can't imagine a vaporizer does it for Mirtzo Sari. He's, he's a hardcore. He wants the uh, tar, nicotine, the poison lover. Like he is a proper. Do talented. you
0: get nicotine from the from
1: the vape? Right. Very, I, I think apparently it's a very small amount. That apparently just chewing on whatever he chews on is much better. And I think think what he's chewing on
4: are nicotine batches.
1: Uh, are you sure about that?
0: The souls no, of dead not. children. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> I was going to say what? it's actual cigarettes. Uh, Alright, okay. Chewing tobacco. There, uh, it, I, I presume it's chewing tobacco but I, I had seen somewhere it was kind of lost in translation that he was actually eating cigarettes. Oh, on, wow. That would be, be amazing. Like, just... like imagine. How off, cracked up. Imagine how off-putting that would be if you're sitting there in a dressing room the door is locked and your manager is furiously chew- eating <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs>
0: Bits of stuff...
1: You know that
4: um, file photo of Homer Simpson when he's got like a thousand cigarettes in his mouth? Yeah. Yes. Someone posted that yesterday and was like, sorry right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was the most perfect thing ever. He was probably finished when, um, after Hazard got a goal last week, he, did, he asked in the post-match interview, was, um, did the manager's comments motivate you that said you weren't giving enough? And he just laughed at it in fairness, I don't care what the manager says. <laughs> right. And it was pretty much the writing was on the wall at that point. Once you've lost the best player in the dressing room, it's hard to see a way back from
1: it's like uh, one of these very immature relationships that all the dirty laundry is being kind of aired on Facebook, where there's someone who's like, you know... Uh, Did this happen? Uh, it, it used to happen, uh, certainly, uh, when Facebook, when Facebook like was something. in its pomp. You'd be like, oh, there's, there's some trouble here. It's like, oh, uh, F me life and XOXO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all the comments would be like, hope you're okay, hon. Like, David ba- right b-
4: Hope you're okay, hon. Yeah.
1: That's basically uh, Eden Hazard and Ritzy Sari right now. And it's hard to know who's more of a uh, Facebook, hon.
4: I think they're both Facebook Huns. Speaking of Facebook Huns, actually, no, I'll distance myself from that one. Neymar will miss PSG's Champions League tie against Manchester United. The Brazilian has suffered a metatarsal injury earlier this month. The French champions say they have opted to take a conservative treatment approach with him so he'll be sidelined for up to 10 weeks. PSG travel to Old Trafford for the first leg of their last 16 tie on the 12th of February. The return is on the 6th of March. Now the former Scotland boss Gordon Strachan believes modern players are incapable of taking constructive criticism. Strachan being linked with a return to the Scottish Premiership with Hibbs that follows the abrupt departure of Neil Lennon. Lennon left the club by mutual consent after a fallout with the striker Florian Camberry. Reports suggest a heated row between the pair during a recent team meeting saw Camberry storm out and go to the CEO to complain about Lennon's behaviour. The former Celtic boss was then put under investigation by the club for his conduct and he subsequently left by mutual consent. Strachan feels players are too solid he's quoted in the Scottish Sun today as saying it seems like someone has got sacked for raising their voice and telling a player straight for doing something you see in every business you'll hear voices raised in offices across the country it's nothing and I thought footballers wanted to be told the truth you're always hearing them say I just want my manager to be straight with me Strachan said but it's like what Jack Nicholson said to Tom Cruise you can't handle the truth you give modern day players the truth and they crumble what they actually want is a nice truth In rugby, Ireland have been forced to change their plans for training today due to the weather the Ireland training session has been moved from Maynooth to Lansdowne Road, after which the team will be named. It's expected Robbie Henshaw will be included at fullback when the squad is announced for the game with England. It will likely be one of two changes from the side that defeated New Zealand in November. Conor Murray set to return to scrum half, having missed that game with a neck injury. Josh van der Fleer tipped to remain in the back row ahead of Sean O'Brien. Now, Joe Schmidt has been on the receiving end of some verbal barbs this week. He was labelled boring by one of the England coaches. Schmidt feels the English will do their talking, though, on the pitch. There'll be more than grenades. There'll be there'll be full uh, there'll be full tanks and, and and full shells landing on the Aviva.
0: You know they've got a, they've got a super team, England, and I think they they uh, they improve through November. They'll improve further with the the guys they've got coming back into the squad. So you know uh, I, I think people will be pretty excited to see the outcome of that, um, and I'll be pretty nervous.
4: Now, the GAA's Director General, Tom Ryan, also making headlines today. He's quoted... After saying they were bullied into making Porky Cueve available for the Liam Miller tribute match, the association were at the scene of controversy when they refused to host the fundraiser initially. They claimed it couldn't be permitted due to the GAA rules on the use of their grounds for other sports. After massive public pressure, the GAA relented and staged the game at the Cork venue. Despite noting the cause being worthwhile, Ryan remains unhappy with the situation. He wrote in his annual report, As a governing body charged with trying to uphold standards, we should not be in the business of finding ways around our own rules. We found a around our own rules that is something I am still very uncomfortable with now an underwater search for Emiliano Salas' plane will take place this week after debris was found on a beach seat cushions discovered near Certainville by French authorities the Air Accidents Investigation Branch has identified an area of four square nautical miles that they will search this week investigators believe the two seat cushions pictured came from the aircraft the Cardiff City footballer has been missing since the 21st of January after his plane disappeared from radar near the Channel Islands police had initially called off the search for the footballer but a private fund was started and more than €300,000 was raised the search will resume later this week
0: alright is, um, is that a
4: Gryffindor top of your way Gryffindor? no oh, it is uh, Gryffindor colours Spain is it? yeah ah, really? Gryffindor what, Harry Potter yeah no I bought a Spain top before the World Cup, thinking that, you know what, they had a brutal, Good brutal start to this. What a stupid take. The head coach leaving. You know, I'm going to get behind Spain. And uh, the top didn't arrive until after they'd been knocked out. <laughs> okay, well, it was, uh, you know. It's
0: a <laughs> Tried to of, get some wear out of it. Moment of history. I, Spain are red, though, right? Have they just changed to the wine, or were they always, was their training here always this colour?
4: I think it was always this colour. Was it? Yeah. The, the jersey is not red-red. Yeah. It's not yeah, like blood-red. It's
0: blood-orange-red. It's, it's, blood like, yeah. it's, it's Seville-red. Castilian. Castilian. Castilian.
4: Are Gryffindor not purple and yellow?
1: No, absolutely not. They're that colour. Oh, really? They're uh, red and yellow.
4: Wasn't a big Harry Potter fan. Didn't really get the, uh, the hype around it. It's
1: a disgusting thing to say.
4: Uh, really?
1: Yeah. I'm uh, personally offended.
0: <laughs> uh, we should talk a bit about Liverpool. Uh, Owen thinks that... Um, what do I think? That Man City might be choking a bit more than them is the actual, actual accurate bit. Um, so I, I don't misrepresent them at the moment. Do you feel the same? Are Liverpool choking. Did they choke last night? No. The chance to go not, seven points so. up at home against like, not a great team.
4: They complained about the snow, which is a fair enough complaint, and there were two decisions that went against them. Is the snow a fair enough complaint? No, it wasn't the same for both teams. Uh, Isn't
0: that the stereotypical actually, it's exactly the same for both teams?
4: I hate to make the excuse that they scored too early but they probably scored a little bit too early. (laughs) Um, No, I don't think they're going to choke. I think they're probably mentally tougher than they were. Um, Of all the bottle jobs we've seen from teams I wouldn't have thought 1-1 was a was a bottle job like it was relatively predictable that it wouldn't be a straightforward night for them midweek Premier League games tend to be a bit of a leveler we see kind of odd results in midweek Premier League games and Johnny Ward called it on last night's off the ball he was predicting that um, Leicester would cause some problems
0: yeah he predicted Leicester would win but um, (laughs) it's not quite the same
4: he said they'd cause some problems and then he got braver in his prediction to Leicester win the game yeah Um, but no I I don't think it's a it's a choke job yeah that's not to say it won't be
1: what constitutes a bottle job
0: not waiting it from here, surely. Come on, best team. Five point, five point leads. Five-point lead, it's five a big lead. It's sizeable.
1: They can uh, come uh, back down
4: to two before they play their next game, because City played before them, so it, it could be even tighter.
1: Yeah, like, it all depends on what what's Manchester City do. Like Liverpool have dropped, what, 11 points now at this stage of the season? How many more are they going to drop to now at the end of the season? They'll probably drop another 7, 8, 9 at least. But, like, Manchester City have really shown up this week that they're probably not going to go on this incredible run that some of us suspected they might do. That you know the fact that they've gone ten hours without conceding a goal up until the first goal they conceded the other night against Newcastle, allied with the fact that they seem to be firing up front, uh, as we've seen in all competitions over the last couple of weeks. So but
4: they're winning the games as well. That they you wouldn't have thought that they had the metal to win in previous years. I think Leicester are the first team outside the top six to take points off them this season. So that says a lot about Liverpool being able to win the games you would think they would win.
0: And don't let this infect the system now. Uh, All right, a couple of quick comments for you. Park Fahri says, Nathan White returns from retirement to destroy England. Rob Hardigan says, You lads are hilarious when it comes to Liverpool dying for a choke story. It was the first points dropped to a team outside the top six. Injuries and illness in the camp. Bit of perspective, please. I
4: use that shield to hide behind, so um, you can have
0: it. You're Mr. Perspective for us this morning then, Darren. That's your new moniker. Uh, all right, let's move on and talk about the um, Super Bowl this week. I'm delighted to say Mike Carlson is with us to preview a game where the consensus is building, Mike, that this is going to be not quite a cakewalk for the Patriots, but I haven't seen anybody who I respect predict that the Rams are going to win just yet. What's going on?
7: Well, you know, it's a tough one because when the line first came out right after the conference championship games, the Rams were favorites by a point and a half. And I thought that sounded about right to me. And so much money came in on the Patriots immediately, you know, like like all of New England and, and a good part of America saying, what, you're going to give us the Patriots? and points, and so the the line overnight switched to a point and a half to the Patriots, and it's now snuck up to um, two points to the Rams now, the Patriots uh, minus two. I'm not quite sure. I think a lot of that's recency bias, given that the Rams were so lucky to get into this game and had so many problems with with New Orleans, and the Patriots looked so impressive um, in the first half against Kansas City, dominating like they had against San Diego, uh, like against Los Angeles Chargers, I mean, and um, in the second half to keep coming back when Kansas City put the pressure on, and then, of course, that great drive uh, to win the game at the end. So, so I think that's what it is. To me, the game really looks like a toss-up, um, and, and a close one either way, although if, if one team were going to run away with it, you would think that would probably have to be the Rams.
0: That's interesting, because I actually was thinking that there's – There's a slight case in in terms of the build-up here that reminds me a little bit of when Carolina were in the Super Bowl and the occasion was too big for Cam Newton straight from the start. From that first snap, it's fumbled and he gets it back, but it's like, oh, what's going on here? And he just was not himself. I wonder, is there any possibility that that happens to Jared Goff?
7: It's possible, and I think that's probably the main reason why the Patriots are favorite favorites. They've been here before. Who's going to bet against Tom Brady at the end of a close game? And Goff is still seen as a uh, automaton would be would be too harsh a word, but but as being you know a product of Sean McVay's coaching. And and I think one of the things you will see for sure is that the way the Patriots have played with eight players, sometimes nine, up at the line of scrimmage, not showing who's going to be rushing, who's going to be dropping back into coverage. They will continue that for sure because they don't want to give Sean McVay the information of what kind of defense they're sitting in while McVay is still talking in Goff's ear. And we know that he tends to um, keep talking right till the moment they cut that microphone off. So Goff gets, gets a little help that way. And what we've seen from him is he's, he's a great passer when he's got time And particularly when he's got time and he can concentrate on his first read. And it's when you make him go to second reads, he then has a tendency to wait too long because he he sort of has to see the receiver coming open before he lets go of the ball or else dump it off to to Gurley um, or C.J. Anderson coming out of the backfield. And that's going to be, to me, the challenge for New England. Um, They have to stop Brandon Cooks, obviously. They know what he can do. From first because he played there last year. Um, but he takes the top off of defenses, and they've been vulnerable to that to an extent uh, all season. The more player, if you double team him, you're taking someone away from the rest of your coverage. And I think what you've got is a kind of mix with Jared Goff of Phillip Rivers and Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes had a bit of inexperience you saw in that Kansas City game where you know he didn't react necessarily to the Patriots changing things up. And Rivers, of course, is a pocket passer the way that Goff is. And what you saw against Rivers was the Patriots were concentrating on keeping the edges set so that Melvin Gordon or Austin Eckler couldn't get outside. They, they like to dump the ball to them outside. They like to get him outside to run quickly. And that's exactly what the Rams want to do with Gurley uh, in particular. C.J. Anderson's kind of the wild card because he reminds me of Ray Rice. And Ray Rice tore the Patriots up in the playoffs a few years ago when Baltimore upset them.
1: We've seen over the the past couple of years, Mike, how much of an effort it is to get to the Super Bowl and how much of an investment of emotion in terms of plays, in terms of putting your entire life's work into this one season. And that's obviously something that Sean McFay has done. We've seen it over the past couple of years when that sort of tailed off in the following season with the likes of the Carolina Panthers, the likes of the Atlanta Falcons. Do you think the Los Angeles Rams have more of a staying power than some of those one-hit wonders, I want to call them, in the Super Bowl, despite
7: the fact that they actually didn't win the Super Bowl when they got there? that's going to be an interesting question because they've spent a lot of money in the last two years on player on older players, star players and between age and salary cap, they're going to have a hard time keeping that core together in Dama Kong Sue, uh, Talib, Marcus Peters, um, you know, Donald will have to be paid. Obviously Whitworth on the offensive line is 35 or 36. So that that's going to be a difficult task for them, you know, and, um, in a, in a sense, they've built the team in almost the opposite way of the Patriots, who you know I think they'll lose Trent Brown, who's probably the best player in this game that nobody ever talks about. They're, the Patriots left tackle, they'll probably lose him this year uh, to a big contract, but they'll have somebody, probably Isaiah Wynn, who they drafted last year and then then got hurt, ready to come in and take his place, and you know they'll they'll fill spots with a lot of with a lot of undrafted guys, and I I think it's not it's not Hugely original of me to say this, but I think Aaron Donald is probably the key to the game and how the Patriots try to cope with him because he can take a lot of things away. And my guess is, although everybody says, "Oh, the Patriots ran the ball, ran the ball" in the the two wins in the playoffs, they threw the ball an awful lot, mostly short, controlled passes that came off the running game. But they ran the ball in a slightly different way in in both game in each game, and I think they'll do that again because. The best way to cope with Aaron Donald, almost the only way, is to run at him. If you run at him, you take his movement away from him. Um, he's he becomes like most like an offensive player. He becomes the defensive player. You know the the, uh, the advantage a pass rusher has over the uh, pass blockers, the pass rusher knows what he wants to do, and the pass blocker becomes the defensive player having to react. If you run right at Aaron Donald, you put him in that position of reacting. So if you're going to double-team him, if he lines up inside of Trent Brown, I'm sure they'll double-team him, and they'll leave Gronkowski to block Dante Fowler, which which is a matchup that I would like. Um, if you pay too much attention to to donald then sue sue can kill you one-on-one inside um and during the week there was this this little conversation that belichick had about wade phillips the defensive coordinator um you know who's who's been there before and, and he's been around a long time he's older than bill um his dad was a coach in the nfl and he and bill said you know wade is still doing the same things he did 30 years ago which is basically true but but he's He's changed it as he's had to. You know, it's the same 3-4 defense he played when he was a defensive coordinator with the Bills back in the early 90s. Um, and Bill, obviously, you know, with the Giants had them in the Super Bowl. But ideally, he would have one rusher which was Bruce Smith on that team, and then two guys who occupy blockers, which was Phil Hansen and Ted Washington. Well, here he only has one guy who occupies blockers, really, uh, which is Michael Brockers, and the other guy, Sue and Donald are both one gap rushers, ideally. They want to rush, they want to rush in. Sue doesn't really like playing that nose tackle spot where he's supposed to just hold up and get two guys. So if you double team both of them, you're playing into their hands. And if you single team Sue, you're leaving yourself vulnerable to a lot of stuff. So that to me is where the game could be won and lost, as well as the matchup of Akib Talib, which again everybody in Atlanta and around whatever the football watching world is knows that he's going to be uh man to man on um on Julian Edelman and Wade likes to play man to man. If you play zone against New England, you're inviting trouble as we saw with the Chiefs last in the winning drive last uh, 2 weeks ago. But I would guess that they're going to play they're going to play man to man on Edelman and they're going to play zone on the other half of the field uh you know for the most part no one does everything the same on every play but that's going to be their basic strategy they might put a man on gronk they might put a linebacker on him the problem for the rams is that behind that front three their linebackers are all very small they're not really run stuffers and if you can get past them your running game can have a lot of success do
0: do both teams have problems at at linebacker then because everybody says the way to attack new england is precisely that get your fast guys on their slow linebackers
7: Yeah, New England's problem is the linebackers aren't so great in pass coverage. Um, You know, the the Rams linebackers are fine that way. They're they're quick. Um, Mark Barron was a safety. You know, they can cover tight ends. Um, But the Patriots, um, Van Noy can run a bit. Hightower has lost a step from his injury last year. And it's, it's really obvious that he has, which is why they play so much of the game in sub packages with five or even six defensive backs. And Patrick Chung, um, Patrick Chung plays an awful lot of linebacker as it were for them to cover tight ends. Uh, And last week or two weeks ago, they had JC Jackson, the, the rookie cornerback covering tight ends and playing up at the line of scrimmage. So yeah, it's a fascinating kind of chess match. And although Bill's kind of the, you know, the thought of as the master of all this McVeigh, who's exactly half his age is probably like the, the, the most interesting young um, thinker in the game uh innovator in the game and you know i'm really curious to see what they come up with because i'm sure both teams are going to do things that we haven't seen uh you know certainly in the last three weeks
0: does any of the hangover from the championship game matter the whole fact that they'll feel a little bit fortunate to have got that call they've had to answer questions about it all week mcveigh let a little nugget slip in um, a piece with peter king about the fact that uh, he gets texts from Bill Belichick when he does well, a little attaboy, it's okay. You know, there's a minor weird paradynamic going on there. Does any of that off field stuff matter at all?
7: Well, it doesn't seem to bother Nicole Roby Coleman, does it? He he came out trash talking the Patriots <laughs> right from the start, talking about how he hated them when he played in Buffalo. And, uh, um, no, basically, that, I think that gets put aside. You know, um, if you're a player and you get a lucky break, and I think this is true in any team sport you don't concentrate on the fact that you didn't really deserve the win you you figure you earned the win anyway you know and and the rams are telling themselves they would have won even without the um even without the call which is not quite true but uh you know but they did intercept they did intercept breeze in the overtime and and went down for the win so in that sense they know they know that they earned it and they're not going to worry about um they're not going to be worried about the calls what you can expect because the NFL is nothing if not a knee-jerk reaction, public relations-oriented league, is that they're going to call pass interference very tightly in this game. And, you know, I mentioned J.C. Jackson against Kansas City. He was the only player they called pass (laughs) interference on. And he had two calls plus a holding call, which was exactly the same total as he had the whole season. He matched in that one game. And I have the feeling that you're going to see a lot more of those calls coming against quite a few more of the players. Um, I don't think they'll necessarily target Nikhil Roby Coleman, but if I were him, I wouldn't be grabbing on and going going along for the ride. Yeah,
0: I also have a feeling that'll happen in the first half and then nothing will be called in the second half just to make sure that the crappy first half isn't the thing that people remember in the aftermath. Because if they called every penalty, the game would be terrible. It would last for yeah. ages and it would actually get really boring. So
7: Yeah, and that, that's been my point for years is they've turned... The two two really crucial calls that change games, offensive holding in the line and pass interference, defensive holding and pass coverage, they've turned them into total judgment calls. Uh, The rule used to be simple. If the ball was in the air, you you couldn't touch the guy. And in fact, if he was past the chuck zone when they created that five-yard area where you could hit a receiver, you couldn't touch the guy. So if you touched him, it was pass interference. Well, then they they let it go. Once you get into that, it's like the NBA And you can call the foul anytime you feel like it, but nobody kind of knows what is or what isn't. Um, They call it a significant advantage uh, in the NFL, and I think that's going to be a a problem. I am convinced that for the conference championship weekend, a directive went out from the NFL uh, uh, like an advisory to the referees. Let them play. Don't take over the game yourself. Yeah. And, you know, and for the most part, I think that's what happened. And, and just as you say, in the second half, that becomes even more so because nobody wants to be the guy who changes the whole game with a flag.
0: No, and I, I made the, the comparison with the Football World Cup in Brazil, where the games were particularly violent compared to the stuff that we would see week in, week out in the Premier League or in La Liga or any, any Europe, European league. And at the end... Of that whole process neymar ended up with a broken back from a kick in the back and they were like oh maybe we went a little bit too far there there's a balance to be struck between letting the teams play and actually applying the rules that everybody knows are the rules so there was yeah,
7: all- which was with the world cup with holland and spain in the final yeah. uh, and the and the english referee was his name Judd or um, Howard Webb? Um, Howard Webb, yeah, with
0: the karate lab, kick to the lab, chest. One of those
7: four-letter words, yeah. yeah. He, I mean, he lost control of the game right at the beginning, and, and he'd handed out his yellow cards, and then he couldn't hand out the second one when he should have. So he was getting like worse fouls that he wasn't being able to um, penalize because he didn't want to be the guy who sent somebody off in a World Cup final. And, and the game became a total joke. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was, and there's a feeling that that can
0: happen. And we saw it last week when, or two weeks ago. The other thing that I just wanted to ask you briefly about the experience was that I, I would have said that the Eagles last year would have been underdogs for the precise reason that the Rams are underdogs. And so what gives me a bit of hope that maybe uh, this won't be something that we saw with Carolina is that teams somehow can, depending on their, I don't, I don't know what it is, but some teams don't. Suffer the same thing. They, they don't suffer the fact that there's the game. There's a halftime, which is an hour long, and then there's another game.
7: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and you know, I, people forget if you if the Patriots and Rams had played in October or November, who would have been the favorites? You the know, Rams. if they were in L.A., it would have been the Rams by six points. If they were in New England, it would have been close. You know, people tend, you know, tend to give the Patriots that uh, deservedly the home field advantage. But you know, this would not be looked at as an easy game for New England then, and I don't think it is now. Uh, They they got there because they were they were are a good team. They've got huge stars on both sides of the ball. They've got game breakers, um, and they they're strong in some of the ways that New England is is weak. So yeah, I, I really. I really would still be I would really still be content if this game were a point and a half to the Rams, um, and I'm going to wind up picking the Patriots, which means they will lose. Um, <laughs> because when I do my column on Patreon, when I do that, they you know they all they always lose in, in the playoffs. I do very well in the regular season, and then apart from two years ago, I think when I was ten and one in the playoffs, I'm new this year. I'm five and five, um, so you know it's not going to be a, a good playoff.
0: Yeah. Did... Well, Sorry, no. You go for it. Is it good crack to, uh, to broadcast from the um, Super Bowl? I'm kind of interested in that, like the whole massive, like it's the biggest annual sports event in the world, and uh, you know, a bit of a snafu, I'm sure, to broadcast from. But also, there must be a bit of crack involved.
7: It is, um, although as you can tell, I'm sitting in my office in in England right now, and and uh, due to, due to the uh, I don't know the, the general. I don't know what it is. The general attitude toward me, I think I I haven't spent many of those super bowls there for the whole week. Um, you know, they, they, the BBC are flying me in tomorrow on Friday. Um, and I suggested if they really wanted to save money, that I, they could give me a parachute, and I would parachute in on Sunday morning, in Sunday afternoon. You know, the plane gets in around four o'clock. I could just, they could just circle the stadium. I could jump out, you know, and, and be part of the pregame, uh, pregame show before the jets drop napalm on everybody. And um, they decided that wasn't a great idea. But yeah, the atmosphere is great. Saturday is a, is a, a fun day in a sense, because it's very quiet. If you go to the press center, there's not going to be anyone in the press center. Radio Row, which is the most, you guys should go there at some point, because, you know, it's the most amazing zoo of of just, microphone after microphone after microphone and people all yelling at the top of their voices because that's the way sports radio is done in America and uh, it, it's you know the, the crowds are usually great the uh, you know they've come in from from both cities and 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 elsewhere um even in Minnesota last year they were outside in the cold uh and and enjoying themselves and so on Saturday where there really isn't a lot to do I've already found a um a bar called Rira in Atlanta, um, not far from the stadium, apparently, and that's going to be showing Ireland and England, and I'll be sitting there. Um, I'm going to. We're going to bring Nat Coombs along, so we have an Englishman to to act as our punching bag um, in in that in that match. But uh, yeah, so that'll, that'll be my uh, lunchtime, on, which is a very civilized time to watch yeah. the rugby. Yeah, no, Sorry totally.
1: You're going to need to tweet those pictures of Nakum's crying when we absolutely pulverize him on Saturday. <laughs> uh, one last thing the big controversy this week, uh, Mike, has been about Maroon 5 cancelling their uh, press conference. I didn't realize that the halftime show. ACT actually has a press conference during Media Week for the Super Bowl, but uh, there's been a massive change at org position to them actually performing halftime in the Super Bowl due to you know the, the blackballing of Colin Kaepernick and the amount of acts that have actually pulled out before Maroon 5 were announced. Uh, it's weird that uh, a halftime show has been spoken about this much, particularly because the ACT performing are so bad.
7: You're right, but it's not weird because everything is spoken about like that. Sure. The, the commercials that will air on the on the uh, during the Super Bowl you know, are... Discussions. I don't know anything about Maroon Five. My suggestion was that the halftime show should be Nick Foles Five, um, which they could have just created as a super group to go out there. Gladys Knight came under some, you know, criticism for doing the national anthem, uh, which I found really unjustified. Uh, she's from Atlanta. Uh, she's one of the great singers of all time. Uh, I, I could listen to her all all day long. Um, I'm still going to take the under on the anthem, which currently is a minute 41, I think, and and that's low. Usually it's about a minute 45, the over under. So they're they're expecting her to go under, but I I think I may still still take the under there. Um, but you know, to me, she should be the halftime show. What's her biggest hit? Midnight Train to Georgia. Mm-hmm. She's from Atlanta. You know, it, it it couldn't you know just couldn't make. Any more sense for her to be for her to be the halftime show? But of course, we're speaking to a different audience than me.
1: Yeah, for sure. It seems that the only thing being written off uh, more than the Los Angeles Rams this weekend are Dallas Might's lungs. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, good stuff.
7: Thanks, a million. Enjoy yeah, don't, the whole thing. Don't write, don't write them off. You know, it's like I'm not I'm not doing that just to cover the bases or to seem. A, but I really do think you know th- that uh, this is going to be as good. We've had an amazing run of Super Bowls. Yeah. Uh, since I started doing them with BBC, um, with a two year hiatus for ITV in the middle of that, uh, which included the one that wasn't a close game, the, the uh, Denver Baltimore Super Bowl in New York. But all the others have been close games and, and entertaining games, exciting games, you know. And I'm pretty much convinced we're going to get another one of those unless the referees make it not so.
0: I hope you're dead right. Enjoy it all, Mike. Thanks for being with us. Cheers.
7: Thanks, guys. Talk to you Sunday.
0: That's Mike Carlson there. Um... That's, that sounds like a good trip. That's a good idea. We should go and do Radio Row for the whole week next year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll go. And, uh, you know all the players show up. Everybody shows up. Literally yeah. everybody shows up and they just wander around.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost like going to like, a careers fair or something except there's just professional athletes at yeah, every stall. H- yeah,
0: like 106 whoever they are in the 53-man rosters and then probably some spares just in case somebody gets injured during the week that you can call up.
1: Yeah, it's it's not it's not exactly uh, he
0: coaches on both
3: teams.
1: Yeah, you can't really protect anybody from uh, the media onslaught that is Super Bowl week. So it really is a requirement. I think it's a requirement of being any sort of athlete of note in the NFL. You've got to have that capability of uh, handling the hand handle being notable, being very very notable. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Well, there is that, but that that was. I I always look at that moment as kind of like a, a big indulgence in the man's own ego.
0: Well, do you remember? When he retired, half time in the in Super Bowl, he, he tweeted a picture of a, a golden pair of uh, cleats, as they're called, hung up. He was hanging up his cleats. Tweeted at half time in the Did Super it? Bowl, yeah, two, two, three seasons ago in the middle of it. I was like, took a year out, came back, and uh, is still playing. He yeah. I mean, obviously he's injured at the moment, but um, yeah, so I mean, well, you know, you gotta, if you're going to be Marshall Lynch, you may as well be Marshall Lynch 24 hours a day. Yeah,
1: but the whole disdain for the media while using a media event for, to make himself more famous it was kind of ironic. I mean,
0: yeah, he, I think he's got game, is how...
1: Exactly. But the, don't, don't tell me that you actually hate media events. He loves that stuff.
0: Uh, Mike will be back with us on Monday morning after the Super Bowl from Atlanta. Will he still be up? Will he, he'll still be I up. I
1: think we're going to do a, a quick pre-req before we come on air on, uh, on Monday morning, just to allow
0: him to get some sleep before he flies back to the UK. Um, I love the BBC uh, Super Bowl show. I think it's great because there's no ads. Yeah, They don't have Romo and commentary, so you have to flick... Because they get the world feed. Generally they get the world feed unless they've changed it this year. So, then um, they often bring in Martin
1: O'Neill in for a chat.
0: I wonder who is going to be this year.
1: I don't know. You're taking Monday off. Is that for the Super Bowl?
0: I cannot confirm or deny. Do you do like a, a big Super Bowl shindig? No. No. Just, no there's, you can't have a shindig when you've got them. Um, because if I did the kids would be now watching it with me. That would not be much fun. No, it wouldn't be ideal. Here, have a chicken wing. Don't drink the beer. Well, so it's, it's wings and beer.
1: That's well, the on the menu. Yeah, you gonna. Uh, you said it as if you're trying to hide something. Are you gonna use? you uh, should have got done Ryan's chicken wings. Uh, does have recipe? a chicken wing. I presume he does. Like I mean, Sujan oh, sounded uh, pretty delicious.
0: Yeah, you just need syrupy stuff. A bit of maple syrup marinade, barbecue oh,
1: sauce, slow cook, whatever you want. Whatever you want yourself. Yeah, it's very uh, like two it, different types. So you you. <laughs> It's kind of like a Super Bowl party with just one just, person. <laughs> sounds great, doesn't it? Just you, uh, Wings, and uh, Mike Carlson on the BBC. That sounds like a pretty heavenly uh, late
0: night Sunday, early Monday morning. We uh, Let's move to, uh, to Liverpool and uh, Dominic King uh, in a minute. First, Andy Mitten joined Johnny Ward and Kevin Caban on the football show last night. The lads got talking to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and whether or not he'll be kept on as Manchester United head coach at the end of the season.
8: Because if they listened to some of the online fans, they'd have no players left. They would all been sold. Marcus Rashford at times this season would have been sold because people have said he's only getting a looking because he's a Mancunian, because he's a United fan. He's actually a very good player who is now confident and playing in his preferred position. Every player, as you know, Kevin, has bad times. Lukaku's had a bad time. Sanchez has had a pretty wretched 12 months. Do I think he's finished as a player? No, I don't. I think these people should be giving the benefit of the doubt. Even Fred, £52 million. He's, had, he's done nothing so far. I don't think we should sell him. Lindelof, a year ago, some United fans were saying, this guy's a disgrace. He should never have been bought. He should never be there, this famous red shirt. They're not, not saying it now. I've got emails in my inbox from six weeks ago saying we should get protests. Yeah, I would be quite funny if I replied to some of them and say, Okay, Leicester on Sunday, let's let's get the protest going against the club. You wouldn't find any support for it. Just just briefly, if you were to call it now, will you be
9: the manager at the start of next season? Yes. Kev. I'm still honestly I'm I'm still undecided, I'm still fifty fifty. 50
4: I am, honestly. Because I think if a big name were to come up, I still, I still think at the moment, I think he'd jump ahead of him.
0: I don't know. Andy had a look of a man who knows something about something. There, he definitely was like, if he's saying yes now at this stage, I think it's more than likely going to happen. I don't think it's anywhere near 50-50. So I think um, Andy's very well sourced at Manchester United. So uh, yeah, I mean, you can see why he would be um, favourite at this point. Let's move on because we want to talk about Liverpool last night. Uh, Dominic King, the Northwest football reporter with the Daily Mail, is with us now. Dominic, good morning. See how you doing?
9: Morning, I'm very well,
0: how are you? Good, yeah. Um, I guess there was always going to be a bit of a wobble from uh, a Liverpool perspective and this is not the worst wobble that's ever happened to a team. You know, they've extended their lead after the round of midweek fixtures in the Premier League. So the fact that Man City have lost isn't irrelevant. It's actually unbelievably important and that changes the context of how Liverpool fans should feel about this game. But in the moment, it feels like a lost opportunity.
9: <clears throat> yeah, I, I think you're right because... Everybody just made the assumption that um, that Liverpool would now be seven points clear, and uh, and they've capitalised on what happened with Manchester City and, and, and Newcastle on Tuesday night. But you know, I, th- I think people should realise, you know, it's, it's it's very very dangerous to make assumptions at this time of year because everybody assumed New- uh, Man City were going to beat Newcastle. So it just listen, there's going to be all sorts of um, there's going to be twists before before the end of the season. Both teams are going to drop points in unexpected places. Um, it's just the nature of it's just the nature of a title race. It's just the nature of what happens when um, pressure is on people um, and the, the the striving to get the the biggest prize there is in in, in English football. So um, listen, that point could actually be very very important at the, at the final outcome, um, and it shouldn't be lost in the fact that Liverpool Liverpool could have lost that game. Could easily have lost that game last night. And there was a couple of scares in the second half with the um, needed last gas saves. So, um, you know, point wasn't ideal. But it's not the end of the world by any means.
0: The, the psychic fear that so many of the Liverpool fans that I'm mates with and that uh, get in touch with us on the show is so heavy and laden down with history that I wonder if stuff like the, the things that happened in the game last night... Ordinarily if you were a manager you would try and brush past them and say the penalty decision, the red card, they're just bad decisions and don't worry about them lads, they're going to even out over the course of the season. But if you're a club and you, you know and you can sense that in the city, in, on the terraces, in the seats rather, uh, that there is just this kind of fear of, of, of the burden of history, do you actually just start turning this into a look, they're out to get us? They, they're trying to stop us here. Do you try and foment some kind of underdog us against them mentality?
9: No, I, I I think I think if Liverpool are going to win the league it will it will be down to Jurgen Klopp. Every time I've, I've every press conference that I've been at with him this season. Um he's got the air of a man who's got absolute total trust in his team. Um he's won two titles with 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 Dortmund, so he knows what it takes what what is going to be needed. Um you're dead right to talk about the nervousness because i I, I, wrote a, I wrote a piece about it last night you could you could sense in the ground it was it was it was edgy it wasn't sort of um, enjoy. it i don't think people turned up ready to enjoy themselves last night i think it was sort of um apprehensive it was like we we need to be seven points clear now we, it, this has got this has got to happen and when things didn't start going to plan you could hear groans and you could hear the impatience and whatever Um, but listen I totally understand it because the weight of history um, is is huge and this is the prize that Liverpool fans have wanted to win more than anything else and every season that that, that goes by without them winning it it it, it, it adds to the frustration it adds to the impatience and um, I just think it's going to be it's going to be nervy until, until the end. Um, but then if, you know, if they do get over the line imagine what the party will
1: be like One of the concerns had been that Liverpool haven't gone through a bad patch or whatever that may be but to be fair Dom it's been a month since they've really comprehensively won a match in any competition when they beat Arsenal 5-1 on the 29th of December so this probably has been their bad patch hasn't it and they've come out of the other side relatively unscathed I know they lost uh, to Manchester City they got dumped out of the FA Cup which they don't care about but it is a result like last night where they're drawing the game rather than getting beaten which might be pivotal
9: yeah, and I think it's also important to point out about the team that played last night. Um, it, I know they had ten days off um, or eleven days off in between fixtures, and they'd been they'd been to Dubai for a, um, a bit of sunshine. But um, there were a few issues last night in terms of fitness, and players not being absolutely at the, at the best. And Jordan Henderson was carrying a little a little issue in his calf. Um, that you know he had, he had to soldier through. Virgil van Dijk had been ill in, in, in the build-up to the game, and then you know you, you, you're missing Milner suspended, um, oxlade Chamberlain still not back, Gomez Trent Alexander Arnold, Fabinho had, uh, was was still carrying an issue in his in his hamstring, which was why he couldn't start. Dejan Lovren still not ready. So when you start listing players like that, and you can see you know it hasn't been great, but he's been trying to sort of Muddle on through, and and the players have. Um, well, as you said, if the, if this is the blip, and, and they've managed to extend the lead while, while they're in the blip, then doesn't that, doesn't that all go well for what what's going to come in the later later months?
0: So, given the the faith that Klopp has in his team, and the fact that there are some players to come back from injury, is there was there any sense, any talk given to signing a replacement full-back in this window? Is it? Too late now no, to just buy no, no, somebody. No,
9: they were they, they were they were never gonna they were never gonna sign someone. Um, you know, with hindsight, would they have waited a week or ten days before letting Nathaniel Klein go to Bournemouth? Possibly. Um, but uh, Klopp was explaining to us that um, you know you can't, you can't foresee these things. They'd made a decision. You have to sort of be fair to people because Klein wasn't going to play, so it, it made sense for him. To go at the time, what he couldn't have foreseen was uh, Milner getting a suspension, Trent Alexander-Arnold getting injured, and Gomez's injury taking a little bit longer to heal. But um, in terms of incomings, no, it was never it was never on the on the cards. Um, they won't do any business today, and I, I, I don't think there'll be anybody going out at all. Um, the only one that's that's left would be Lazar Markovic. But there's, there's there's little interest in them at
0: all. In retrospect, should they have signed, or do you think the, the only the only thing they should have done was just not let Klein go, or until the end? Like, is there any would there have been any sense in spending twenty million quid on Matt Doherty or somebody like that, for example, to get you through to the end of the season and go, look, it's going to win the league for us. That's all we need.
9: Yeah, Liverpool wouldn't do that. They wouldn't make a sort of um, short term short term stopgap signing. Um, for that they've got a, a particular way of doing the business the only one who had players that are, are going to be long term investments and um, you know the, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't do a, a stop gap because, uh, there was a few questions after the the night that um, Lovren got injured at, um, at Wolves and the replies back that we were getting more you know he, he's not signing anybody just for, for one or two games so He's, he's made his decision. As I said to you, he's got huge faith in the squad. And once, once, you know, once he's got everybody fit, I, I think that, um, they've got one of the, one of the best squads in Europe, and nobody would would, would dispute that. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, okay. So fair enough. They're happy enough with that. The um, the way the fixtures are coming is going to be interesting. Uh, next weekend, City play Arsenal on the Sunday, and then. Uh, Liverpool play West Ham on the Monday so that's going to be another opportunity for them to respond to a different challenge this time where the gap gets closed and they have to reassert it but at least it's West Ham away and it's not a massive horrible fixture for them the way West Ham are playing at the moment
9: mm, Yeah uh, you say that but I think that'll be a very difficult game for Liverpool um, I mean they're a club that needs a bit of, West Ham are a club that needs a bit of a boost Um with the, with the TV cameras there and uh, Monday night under the lights you, you would it'll be a, a huge crowd um, you know they'll they'll want to see something they'll want to see a response particularly to um, the, the you know the, will the back-to-back defeat to Wimbledon and Wolves uh, you know they'll be, they'll be demanding a response there um, so it'll be it'll be very very difficult but then we're assuming that Man, United, Man City are going to beat Arsenal and you just don't know what you're going to get with Arsenal do you um, I just I I can't see, I can't see Man, Man City uh, having a run where they where they go on eight or nine games of of, of of straight wins. I just think there's there's a little bit of unpredictability about them, um, and the same with Liverpool. I should have I don't think Liverpool are going to sort of rattle off six or seven wins in in, in a row um, with particularly with the the fixtures that they've got. I think it's just a, a, a question of. Um, Holding the nerve and remembering what you know, what they've done to, to get them into the place that they are now.
0: Well, given that, is there any hope for Spurs who are just seven points behind at this stage?
9: <sighs> I, I, I think I think Spurs are, I think Spurs have been absolutely brilliant. Um, and if Harry Kane was Harry Kane was still around uh, or, or, or sorry back sooner, you wouldn't you wouldn't be. Too ready to rule them out. I just think that um, again, their injuries will will will, will creep on upon them at some point. If Tottenham finish in the top four this season, they've, they've, they've you know they've done a brilliant job, and the fact that they've they've been in a position where they've been spoken about as title challengers, I think sort of um, highlights what great players they've got and what what a brilliant manager they have. All
5: right,
0: Dom, great stuff. Thanks a million for taking the call this morning. Cheers.
9: Pleasure. No
0: problem at all, gents. uh, Dominic King there talking to us about the um, performance last night from Liverpool. I don't think there's any need to panic, really. I mean, I know we were talking earlier on about the choking, but it's way too early for that. And um, when the dust settles today slash tomorrow and they start preparing for next weekend's games, they'll be like, last week we were four points ahead, this week we're five points ahead. That's better, right? (laughs) Like...
1: And the the, the thing is, we've spoken about the defensive personnel there and they need to get them back and fully fit in terms of a a back four ASAP, like conceded five goals in their last three games at this point. They conceded five goals in their previous sixteen games up until that point, so it's clearly falling off a cliff in some respect in terms of their defensive solidity. That being said, their defensive solidity was going along all-time Premier League records up with Chelsea in in Pete Jose era a couple of weeks back. So you couldn't expect them to continue it all the way through. And also, I think it's probably uh, it probably reflects happier on uh, Liverpool that this is kind of a personnel-based issue, if we can even call it an issue. That it's not really a systemic failure that it's just the fact that uh, the likes of Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold aren't available, that they aren't playing, that that's kind of led to what kind of seems to be uh, a sort of systemic failure when it's actually not, like the goal they conceded last night, for example.
0: What's the chance of Josie Mourinho taking the uh, Chelsea job? Is he, the, is he who he turned to as a temporary short term? Ah, come on in, Josie. You can, you can lick this. Eden Hazard is really going to respond to you. Well, like,
1: the Chelsea Football Club is just one of the strangest entities in the world. In, in any walk of life so I, I would have said no chance whatsoever but there's every chance to do something idiotic like bringing Jose Mourinho back the, yeah it's like uh, if, if, yeah. Uh, if, if Liverpool Football Club was run like Chelsea at the moment not only would they have like, not, not only would they have not failed to sign a replacement for Nathaniel Klein they probably would have signed Paul Koncheski like, they would have done something stupid they would have signed a replacement but it would have been something stupid in the short term uh, well Francesca wouldn't be short term but it? it'd be no term at all
0: yeah alright that's our lot today we've uh, had an amazing competition running for you this week a pair of tickets with thanks to Glenisk, to watch Ireland against England their premium tickets good seats in the Aviva for the Six Nations game thousands of you entered we've randomly picked one winner so congratulations to Ashling Stano who entered on uh, Twitter and she is taking her husband Aidan her gorgeous husband uh, at Aiden Astano, 21. Uh, so well done to Ashling and to Aiden. You're heading along to the game, courtesy of Glenisk. Well done yourselves. And um, yeah, so that's it. Uh, some quick comments for you. Hey, going to be another Chelsea striker failure, just like Shevchenko, Torres, Murata, Giroud. It has been a graveyard really for good strikers. Yeah, I was just about to say. It's, it's a... Does that mean Didier Drogba was the greatest footballer of all time to survive whatever curse there
1: was there? He wasn't really brought in at the peak of his power. So He was brought in. As somebody who could improve and he did improve like they they 're in, they're in very different situations, all those players to what Didier Drogba was in at the point when he came in also Didier Drogba had far more of a killer instinct than any of those did, and it probably comes from the fact that he was hungry to reach the very top level of football, whereas all those players probably reached the top level and like it,
0: it, it seems weird to say that about someone like they were called like, oh, was bought into brought in to be a sub I don't think he's in the same uh, list there and then uh, Dunic is so sound, says Fergal Kearney mad to believe he'd take the head off you in a game yeah but uh, all the silent assassins are always like that just ask Oligon or Solskjaer tomorrow morning 7.45 Adrian Owen and Alan Quinton looking forward to the weekend's football GA and the rugby too I can't believe it's Thursday of a Six Nations week where everybody assumes we're just going to kill England all we've got to do is show up except for you you naysayer I don't know I'm just a little bit worried surely this game gets closer that's the whole point you get a bit more worried no,
1: like get get used to being superior.
0: He's from Kerry. See you tomorrow. So, if you like this, you'll probably also like OTBAM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTBAM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or OffTheBall.com every morning from 7:45 a.m.